With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you searching for the best in online black radio? Then go to blacktalkradionetwork.com. Helping you filter through the noise. Real talk. Black talk. The internet is full of half-truths and all-out lies. We've all seen them, and many people on social media complaining about it. Here's your chance to show and prove. WorldAfropedia.com is a black-owned and operated encyclopedia. There are several thousand articles, but we need help. We can't uncover all the truth ourselves. So please, join us and become a writer, editor, or blogger for WorldAfropedia.com today. Every little bit counts. We owe it to the future generations to put the truth out there. Visit worldafropedia.com, the African-centered encyclopedia, a global database of African knowledge for the purpose of bringing about global African wisdom and understanding. Worldafropedia.com. Man, this shit worse than cancer like a fucking disease. Living a nightmare, they telling his dream. Look what they did to Martin Luther, bullet holes in our kings. And they wonder why we never believe. And they wonder why we never believe, nigga, we poor. Young niggas warned about that corner store, but the chinks on that. And you claiming that's your block, who you think on that? Quick sand in the hood and we gon' sink on that. You should think on that. Poison water out in Flint, they let them little babies drink on that. They don't care about us. Once upon a time up in Jersey, yo. <laughs> There's a lead in the drinking water problem in our area. It's in Newark. The city has gradually come to realize and to admit that the anti-lead water treatment for everywhere except the East Ward is failing, and water in too many places is actually testing at above legally allowable levels. The city is now trying to rapidly distribute 40,000 water filters. Here is Mayor Raz Baraka, interviewed by WNYC's Jamie Floyd on All Things Considered yesterday. City employees are going door to door. We're targeting people in the homes that have been affected. They can go online and, and, and go to NewarkLedServiceLine.com and put their house in to see if their house has been affected. And we're telling people, if you're nervous about that, call the water department. The water department will come out and test your water for free. If you have high levels of lead, we'll give you a filter. So we're going door to door, and we have it available at every recreation center, uh, the health department, and the water department up until 8 o'clock and some days 10 p.m., People come and pick up water filters. Mayor Raj Baraka on WNYC yesterday. We'll hear more from him later. And we'll begin today with two guests. Karen Yee is covering the story for the Star-Ledger at NJ.com. 
Eric Olson is Senior Director for Health and Food at the Environmental Group, NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council, which took the city to court, saying the city was denying the extent of the problem despite its own data. Karen, welcome back. Eric, thanks for coming on WNYC. Thanks for having thanks me, Brian. Having Great me. to be here. Um, Eric, would you begin with something very basic? People casually know that lead in drinking water is a bad thing. They'll gasp when they hear lead in drinking water. But why is it bad? Why has science concluded that even tiny amounts of lead in drinking water can be dangerous, especially for children? Well, every single um, major health authority has agreed that there's no safe level of lead. So the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the World Health Organization, all say that, especially for young children, no level of lead is safe. So the problem is that it can interfere with their brain development, with their intellectual development, and have long-term effects if uh, kids are exposed, even in utero, um, in the pregnant mom. And it can continue to have effects even on adults. So there are recent studies showing impacts of even low levels of lead on cardiovascular disease, for example, that really are worrisome. So that's why we really need to try to crack down on lead from any source. And drinking water, especially in a place like Newark where we have elevated levels, can be a significant contributor to that problem. Karen, you reported on the study that found the anti-corrosion treatment for the city of Newark's water everywhere but the East Ward is no longer affected. What is the city now acknowledging is the problem? So what's happened is that the city has two uh, water systems, the Pequannock and the Wanakue reservoirs. And what the study recently found uh, this month was that the way that the city was treating its water for corrosive properties was not effective. And what that means is whatever chemicals they were putting into the water are supposed to create a sort of film around the lead service line so that it doesn't really cake off and sort of leach into the water. And, and that process has been in place since 1997. The city had not done a study since the 90s. So they recently commissioned a study, and the results were that this was not working. So now the city is embarking on a new plan to, to change those chemicals and make sure that it's effective. Eric, your group, NRDC, took the city to court, claiming they were denying a problem despite what their own data showed them. Can you lay out what you believe Newark officials knew when that they did not tell the public about once they did know? Well, we do know that um, from the city's own data, they were monitoring as early as early 2017, showing that they were above EPA's action level for lead. And frankly, they weren't taking the actions that the law requires. They were supposed to have done full-blown public education about the issue. They were supposed to have um, reevaluated their corrosion control. They were supposed to have started pulling out lead pipes last year, and they did none of that. So uh, we, representing citizens in Newark, um, decided after warning the city, um, asking the city over a year ago to do something about it and getting stiff-armed, we finally ended up suing them and asked for an injunction um, about a month and a half ago. And it was only after that injunction was facing them, and our potential injunction was facing them, and they had to show up in federal court for a hearing um, that had been scheduled that they finally admitted they had a problem. Is that lawsuit resolved or moot now that the city has acknowledged how widespread the problem is, or are there still things you're trying to force the city to do that it's not doing to protect the health of its people, in your opinion? Well, it's a good step that the city has is offering 40,000 filters to residents in Newark, but that's supplying filters to fewer than half of 
the households in the city. Um, we actually have data that the city collected showing that even in the East Ward, where the city is saying there's no problem, that their own data is showing that they have elevated lead levels in some homes there. So clearly, um, there are three major things that have to happen. One is that the city needs to be honest with the public and admit how widespread the problem is and that the water um, is not safe in many cases for especially young children and pregnant moms. Secondly, they need to certainly start doing the corrosion control, which, as your other guest mentioned, is absolutely necessary to control the lead. Um, and thirdly, they need to start pulling out these lead service lines. Those are the pipes that go between the water main in the middle of the street and people's houses. They need to start pulling those out now. Karen, how's the distribution of those 40,000 water filters going? So the city has set up different um, locations across uh, different wards for pickup. Um, one of the issues that I've heard is that um, there's a process for installing the filter and, and making sure it's working and then changing the cartridges. And residents are, are showing up the, at these centers and being shown a video. And there's also a video online. So, you know, there, there's questions about whether that's sufficient and whether that's enough for people to fully understand how to utilize these filters. Um, Because Eric can probably speak more to this, but if they're not properly used, it's there's sort of no point, right, to installing the filters. So um, the city's also going door to door to inform residents that may not have read about this or heard about this um, to make sure that everyone who is eligible for one gets a filter. What kinds of filters are those? Can you describe them and basically how they work are the ones where you just screw off um, you know, the faucet right where the water comes out and screw on a filter? Does it go under the sink and it's more complicated to get it into the pipes? What is it? So these filters are supposed to be NSF approved, which um, it, which which ensures that it protects for, for lead. Each home, I believe, is only getting one filter to, to be put where, you know, you use uh, the water to wash your hands or to brush your teeth or, or drinking water or um, to cook with it. Eric can probably explain a little bit more about okay. how the, it actually yep. works. Sure. Do that? I will. Um, basically, these filters, um, they have carbon in them, um, activated carbon, which is sort of like what's in your fish tank. Um, it adsorbs the lead. And um, as Karen mentioned, it's very important that those filters be installed correctly. They're usually screwed on to the um, kitchen faucet. Um, and then they have to be maintained. So you have to replace these cartridges because they fill up with lead gradually. So you want to make sure that you're maintaining them as the manufacturer recommends because otherwise you're not doing yourself any favors. But on Bob's second point, uh, whether the city is being unfairly treated in the coverage of this or the activism around this, some are citing echoes of the Flint, Michigan lead and drinking water crisis. Eric, you were quoted in the Times saying Newark is not as extreme as Flint, but still has a serious problem. Here's another clip of Mayor Baraka with WNYC's Jamie Floyd yesterday. He bristles at people making that comparison, and you'll hear him refer to Newark water official Karim Adim, who said what Karen was just referring to, that the water itself in Newark is safe. Mayor Baraka. See, the the point is people want to turn this into Flint or something where they can get a good story out of it. The fact is... Well, Flint famously had a problem with its water system, and they had cut back on treatment in order to save money, and so people have that that, question. Did Newark cut back? Were you trying to save money? They changed their water source altogether. We have the same thing. We didn't cut back in anything. We've been using the same corrosion control inhibitor for 22 years. 
it lost its effectiveness. We are changing it now to use the one that they use in other places. Newark's water is fine. What Kareem Adim said is absolutely correct. There's nothing wrong with Newark's water coming out of the source. When it enters people's lead service lines, it becomes an issue. Mayor Baraka with our Jamie Floyd yesterday. Eric Olson from NRDC is referring to Flint sensationalizing Newark's situation, and how would you compare the two? Not at all. We're actually very involved in in Flint as well. And in fact, we brought the lawsuit that required Flint to pull out their lead service lines, which they're in the process of doing. So there are echoes of Flint. They're not exactly the same. But if you go down the litany, there's a significant health problem with elevated lead levels coming out of people's tap water. You've got a situation where the city was not exactly being straight with people and saying the water is fine and people should drink it. Nobody's arguing that the water that leaves the treatment plant is dangerous. The concern is that when it gets to people's taps because the city is not properly treating it, um, it's leaching out too much lead. Exactly the same problem, by the way, as what happened in Flint where they were not treating the water with correct corrosion inhibitors and it ended up being contaminated with elevated lead levels. It's true that Newark did not switch its water source as Flint did, so it's not exactly the same. The other two points are that um, it's a primary, it's a heavily African-American community that's heavily impacted, and citizens had to sue um, in order to actually get a solution um, moving forward. And I think those parallels are there. There are echoes. Again, they're not exactly the same, but certainly uh, Newark's got some problems with its tap water. In Michigan, some people ultimately were criminally charged around the problems in Flint. Are you recommending anything like that with respect to Newark? Well, we we would love to have a deep investigation into why it is that this happened. Um, for example, what we found is that the monitoring that was being done of lead um, was not being done in the high-risk homes as it was required to be. A lot of it was not in those high-risk homes. So they were violating the law by not testing where there were most likely to be problems. So they were supposed to test about 100 homes um, through this lead sampling, and a lot of the homes they were testing were not the high-risk houses. So that made it look like their lead levels were lower than, in fact, they actually were if you actually tested the homes you were supposed to. So, um, you know, I think that's something we really should go back and take a look at whether the monitoring was being done correctly are you in implying, past years. Are you implying fraud in that respect, purposely not testing the places where the results were likely to be the worst to, well, um, you know, to make the overall results look better? It's unclear why that was being done, um, but the city admits that they had – these are called Tier 1 homes, the highest-risk homes. They admit that they have thousands of these across the city, and they should have been testing those homes – they were testing other lower-risk locations, um, not exclusively those, but they were testing, instead of 100 of the high-risk Tier 1 homes, they were testing a lot of homes that were not Tier 1. So the question is why. I can't say exactly why they were doing that, but it could have had a real impact on the levels they were detecting. I've seen what's around the corner. I've seen what's over the horizon, and I promise you, You niggas have nothing to celebrate. And no, I won't get there with you. I'm going to Canada. You guys know that when the police are looking for somebody, they like to do a lot of publicity if that person is wanted for a serious crime. 
They like to put out pictures and information identifying the person, where they might last have been seen. This is all relatively normal. Um, There's a new partnership that the Toronto Police have been engaging in since this spring, and it's called the BOLO program. BOLO stands for Be On the Lookout. And this is just another way of looking for people who have outstanding warrants uh, by police forces across the country. But they've decided to pilot this thing in Toronto. And so the Toronto police give information to this group called BOLO, Be On The Lookout. And then this group's job is supposed to be like they're like the social media amplifiers. So they go on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. And they try to say, hey, this person's wanted by the Toronto police. Help us find them. The problem is that when they post these things on social media, the response is often hundreds and hundreds of racist comments about the person that the police are looking for. Now, this is not really a surprise to me, and it wasn't a surprise to my next guest. L. Jones is a Halifax, Nova Scotia-based poet, professor, prison abolitionist and a good friend of this show and she joins me to talk more about bolo hey l hi good afternoon desmond so it's kind of funny how you stumbled across this project tell everybody how that happened so i was in toronto last week for the congress of black writers and artists and when you switch locations i guess the sort of ads that come up the sponsor things that come up on your facebook feed change so whereas people in toronto didn't seem very aware of this program um I got in sort of my news feed this Bolo program thing, and of course they use this bright yellow kind of um, background. So I went to see what it was because I immediately saw this wanted photo of this black man. That's what showed up in my feed. So I went to check it out. And what I noticed, of course, as you mentioned in the intro, is as you read through, so something like, you know, 957 comments, and people were saying stuff like, looks like a rapper, you know, maybe these people raised their children, another thug, obviously from Jane and Finch, you know, exactly the kind of stuff you would expect to see. But the really interesting thing is, if people say something like, oh, I shared this, the Bolo program will come in and interact. So they'll say, thank you for sharing. Um, but when there's racist comments, they won't interact at all. So they're clearly engaging with the page, but weren't engaging it with it all to say to people, you know, no, this is not acceptable. So I thought that was interesting. And then uh, I had some interactions past that that you could ask me about. Well, that's just it. Being who you are, you decided that you would contact the folks who moderate this page. And you wanted to ask them about why they let all of these hundreds of racist comments go unchallenged when they're obviously active on the page. So how did that interaction go? Oh, so the first thing to understand is that the BOLO program is... Uh, charity organization, uh, in, uh, an enterprise of the Stephen Kirche uh, Foundation. Um, and he was the founder of Garda Security, which is one of the five largest security companies in the world. We know it well in this um, city, yep. So of, course, um, so, of course, that surveillance mechanism is now, of course, moving online through this warrant program. So I attempted on first the BOLO program website to, they have, the only contact is, of course, that you fill in this box. And they actually tell you, like, don't do this if you're seeing the person. <laughs> you know, they call 911, right? Um, so I attempted to ask these questions about uh, why they allowed racist content on their page. And that went to a 404 pathway when I attempted to submit that information. In I other words, for the, our listeners who may not understand, it, it got, you got an error message, essentially, when you tried to send I got an that. error message to engage with them. And I wonder, like, had I not been in an emergency situation and said, I think that's my neighbor, um, clearly I would not be able to report this, right? Um, so then I went on the Stephen Cartier Foundation page, 
and I attempt to do the same thing, and that also did not go through. So having been unable to engage either of those sites, I decided to email the Toronto Police Service because when they post um, everything from the BOLO program, it always they always tag the Toronto Police Service. And what did the Toronto Police have to say about this torrent of racism uh, well, that's part of a program that they're sponsoring? Well, the interesting thing here, too, is on April, maybe April 28th, April 30th, if you go back on the page, there was a post that said, you know, while we welcome a diversity of opinion, um, violent racist comments will not be tolerated and will be hidden or deleted. So clearly they were at this point having a problem with very extremist, violent racist comments to the point where they felt a need to make this post. Um, Or they just, like, know how people are. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I thought that was interesting. So when I first emailed the Toronto Police Service, I asked them, were they officially a partner with this program? So, you know, was this something, were they being tagged and didn't know about it, or were they actually part of this initiative? And they responded to me very, very quickly, within about 10 seconds. I mean, it was almost instantaneous. And they uh, said, yes, you know, they had this program. They had done a press conference on May the 1st. I was welcome to watch a video. I may be very interested in it. So I responded and asked them, okay, so if you're a partner of this program, are you aware of the content on this page? Don't you think this reflects? on your policing, if you're part of a program that is eliciting this kind of racist commentary, and that not only is it eliciting the commentary, but that the page is actually interacting, but never interacts to deal with the racism. So in fact, I saw one post where somebody basically said, this page is racist, and they interacted to say, no, it's not, like, this has nothing to do with race. So actually took the time to interact, to tell somebody that their claims of racism were ridiculous, but can't interact to any of the racist comments that you can read underneath. Classic. Um, so I asked the, right. So I asked the police this, but didn't they feel that this reflected on their policing, especially given the inquiry into Andrew Loku's death, which ruled that the, the police were culpable? Um, and I believe named them culpable of homicide in that case. Obviously, there's an anti-black strategy in Toronto, an anti-black racism strategy. There is an anti-black strategy. <laughs> yeah, we could get into whether or not there's an anti-black strategy another time. <laughs> but an anti-black racism strategy, there's, of course, all the work you've done and Black Lives Matter and other people have done around carding and racial profiling. So I asked them, you know, in the midst of this, did they think perhaps it was the wisest course um, to be endorsing this program where there was so much racist content? And then I just asked some questions like, um, did race factor into who was chosen for the warrant? Um, did they think that the black community might possibly have a lower level of engagement with these warrants uh, since they allow all this racist content? Might that possibly alienate people? And then I sent them a follow-up email, and I uh, quoted the post on April 30th that talked about the violent racist content, and I asked them if that concerned them, um, whether or not any of that had been reported to them, so had they received reports of this violent commentary, because we know, of course, for example, that the police are very concerned with watching Black Lives Matter or you have been spied on. Um, so I was just curious to know if, if they're at all following these kind of extremists that are posting on this page that the page itself has identified. Um, so I asked them that question as well. And didn't they think that maybe if a public engagement strategy of theirs elicited violent racist commentary, I asked them the question, do you think perhaps uh, you might want to engage in a different manner? And I also asked them if they had at all informed the black community of this threat to safety. Um, because, of course, again, if violent extremist comments are being made on this page, we know Bissonnette, who shot the mosque in Quebec, made a number of racist comments online before he engaged in that. As did um, the, bomb, the, the suspected bomber uh, just now in the United States, as right. did the man who walked into a synagogue and killed multiple people. Right. So people post that- these things online before they commit their crimes. And so we know that there's an ongoing pattern of white terrorists um, posting violent extremist comments online. So I wondered if they were at all concerned with that. 
um, they took a few days to get back to me. So then the next week they told me it wasn't their concern because social media isn't their concern. They don't run the page. That was their response. Um, so they certainly did not investigate any of these comments. They didn't say, you know, we um, want the community to feel secure. They didn't have anything to say about safety. They didn't even say we condemn racism. They simply were like, threw up their hands and said it wasn't their problem. So I emailed them back and I asked them, um, number one, if that lack of concern for investigating violent extremist racist comments online extended to all people, for example, if Muslims were to make violent extreme comments online, do they not investigate that or do mm. they only not investigate uh, white people who make violent extremist comments against black people. And I asked them if their lack of concern for black people's safety extended to any other areas of their policing. And could they please let me know that? Um, they have not responded to that email. Shocker. Elle, uh, we could get way more into this, but I'm, I'm just about to run out of time. For our listeners, uh, Elle sent me a horrific picture of her ankle this week because she was running and fractured her ankle. Uh, are you okay? How are you doing? I'm great. I'm walking around in a boot um, and, you know, emailing the Toronto Police Service from my home in Halifax. All, so, all I got to say is you don't even live here and you're doing God's work for the people of Toronto to find out what's going on with our police service. So, And this is really, this is important, right? Because this is online. This is actually the, the reach of the program is to exactly do this kind of online surveillance. So we need to do what Simone Brown describes as surveillance, which is counter-surveillance, so subversive surveillance. So if they're going to be surveilling us and allowing racist comments about us because of course part of the point of policing is not just to post these warrants it, in fact the purpose is to allow this anti-black commentary and to spread the idea that black people are criminals and to further justify policing our neighborhoods and criminalizing us this is actually the purpose of what they're doing it's not a mistake it is why they are doing this right we, we understand this about policing but anti-blackness is not a glitch in the system it is the system so i think it's very important that we as black people stare back at them and survey them back, which is the purpose of emailing them. I know they're not going to respond to me satisfactorily, but I want them to know that we are also watching them. L. Jones, everybody. Remember, no one is going to treat you special just because you are black. A major legal case about college admissions wrapped up today in Boston. It concerns whether Harvard, one of the most selective schools in the world, is unfairly discriminating against Asian-American applicants. But as William Brangham reports, many believe the case could also have implications for affirmative action nationwide. It's part of our ongoing look at ways of rethinking college. The case alleges that highly qualified Asian-American applicants are being denied admission because Harvard is using other non-academic measures to intentionally keep their numbers down. This trial has certainly shed some unflattering light on the inner workings of Harvard's admissions process, but it's also worrying many supporters of affirmative action. That's because the case is being shepherded by a man named Edward Bloom. He's a well-known conservative legal activist who has twice before brought major cases to eliminate affirmative action in education. For more on this case, I'm joined now by Kirk Carapeza. He's an education reporter at our sister station, WGBH, in Boston, and he's been following this very closely. Kirk, welcome to the NewsHour. Good to be here. The group that is representing these Asian-American students allege that Harvard is intentionally discriminating against them. Can you tell us a little bit more? What is their argument? The group argues that Harvard is systematically rating these students lower on personal scores. Uh, in their closing arguments today, the plaintiff's lawyers said Harvard is stereotyping Asian-Americans, describing them as quiet, uh, math or science-oriented, book smart. Um, they 
are accusing them of racial balancing, which the Supreme Court has ruled is illegal. You can't use quotas in college admissions. And so they're basically arguing that if you, if you took those racial considerations out of it, that these highly qualified students would be getting into Harvard at higher rates than they are now. Is that right? That's right. This group, Edward, led by Edward Bloom, this conservative legal strategist, hired an economist, Duke economist, Peter Arcidiacono. He looked at six years of Harvard's admissions database, and he found that Asian Americans are being discriminated against. He also found that African Americans and Hispanics are much more likely to be admitted uh, if you do not consider these the, the, the personal scores. He uh, referred to that as racial preferences. And as I mentioned in the introduction, that the trial has shed some uh, somewhat unsavory light on the inner workings of Harvard's admissions process. Can you tell us a little bit about what was discovered? Right. This, this case, uh, this trial lasted three weeks. And what struck me most was just how complicated the process is and how many layers there are and how many factors Harvard says it considers when deciding which students to admit and which students not to admit it. This case uh, shows some light on the legacy preferences, you know, tipping the scales a bit for students, uh, the, the sons and daughters of alumni, um, people who give money to Harvard. I think um, it, from a PR perspective, Harvard, uh, of course, didn't wish, you know, its, its process was being, uh, you know, splashed across the newspapers here. Um, but I think it's also been eye-opening for a lot of people to see how much careful consideration they take when deciding which students to admit. And what was Harvard's rebuttal to this? I mean, they're obviously being accused day in and day out of, of, of racial bias. I mean, what has been their, the overarching thrust of their defense? Right. Harvard points to the data and says the data speaks for themselves. Um, Harvard says um, Asian Americans now make up about 23 percent of admitted students. That compares to 6 percent of the U.S. population. Harvard uh, is saying that they want to build a diverse class, that uh, when they're educating future leaders, they want to make sure that there's a lot of diversity on campus so people are experiencing um, people from different backgrounds. And so they point to the, the Bakke decision in 1978 where the Supreme Court pointed to Harvard as the model in higher education for considering race. And race can be one factor among many factors when deciding which students to admit. I know that this case hasn't been, that affirmative action itself is not quote unquote on, in the docket. But as I mentioned, Edward Bloom is this man who has brought many cases that very overtly try to chip away at affirmative action in education. Let's just say that he wins this case. What is your sense about what the impact on affirmative action more broadly could be? A lot of people in higher ed, a lot of leaders I speak to, think this is a backdoor attack on the consideration of race in admissions. I spoke with one leader this week, and she told me that this case goes to the heart of who we are as a society, and it's basically, we're debating the latitudes that, that our institutions of higher education can use when building a class. Um, the, the case, um, the trial ended today. The judge is expected to make a ruling early next year. Whoever loses, they're expected to appeal this case, and many legal experts think it could ultimately reach the Supreme Court. And with Justice Kavanaugh on the court now and the court leaning more conservative, a lot of people worried that this could mark the end of affirmative action. All right. Kirk Carapeza of WGBH News, thank you very much. Thank you. When you don't vote, you can't sit on a jury. You have no right to complain about the police because you won't even go and vote so you can even sit on a jury. Uh, as I've told uh, 
say to the cows when I first started to call in, I spent 11 years on a job where where I worked for a bank and had to sit in court day after day after day after day. And I watched them select juries. I watched black people going to jail, black people have white having white probation officers, and the whole judicial system um, just truncated with white supremacy. And a great deal of it is could some of it could be lessened if black people simply voted. Black women vote in large numbers, and they overwhelmingly vote for Democrats. Doug Jones is now Senator Doug Jones because of black women. They turned out and helped eke out a win for the Democrats during the Alabama special election late last year. So if black women don't vote, if they decide to just stay home next Tuesday, that's a real problem for the Democratic Party. Our co-host Audie Cornish has more on the effort to get and keep black women energized. We recently visited a voter meeting organized by Higher Heights. That's a political action group focused on black women voters and candidates. And more than 100 of these living room meetings were happening that night across the country. How about we do this? We go around give introductions and we give what we think. The women around this circle here in Washington, D.C. included school teachers, political organizers, and a health care analyst. They were sipping wine, munching on tacos, and commiserating about politics. They actually didn't all know each other very well, but once they got settled in, they found they had a lot in common. First, they shared a sense of exhaustion with the marches and pussy hats that followed the presidential election. I think, like, the trust was gone by the women's march. I'm like, I ain't cutting a hat. I'm not showing up. It's cold. <laughs> I'm not. I, the trust I was is gone. gone. This is Michelle Neely. She works in communications. White women were divided in 2016, although they did tip in favor of Donald Trump. So white women activism post-2016? Too little too late, in Neely's opinion. Now, in 2018, it's time for the midterms. Keisha Willis believes that once again, black women voters will be expected to turn out in numbers that will prop up Democratic candidates. I think our vote has been taken for granted. Um, And I think people are paying attention more now than they have in the past, especially with um, everything that happened with Doug Jones down in Alabama. It was was black women who delivered that W that day. And I think a lot of people are now realizing what we've known all along is that we do have that power. This idea of being taken for granted as a voting bloc, it's not new. What's different this year is the ongoing debate in the Democratic Party about whether its focus on people of color in 2016 came at the expense of the white working class vote and what it will take to bring back those white voters in 2020. To Michelle Neely, it's underscored by the new progressive activism she says hasn't always been there for black voters. When it's time, when it's LGBTQ folks, when it's Mm -hmm. immigrant, when it's kids being torn away from families, we show up. Mm -hmm. When it's us, criminal justice, people like, ah, well. When it's black specific White folks, well, you know, I got this thing up. And that list of issues important to black women voters isn't that long or unfamiliar. Several women, including Rabia Burks, brought up mass incarceration and criminal justice. Every election cycle, no one wants to touch criminal justice because they don't want to uh, affect their chances of being reelected. Mm-hmm. If black women had a choice, if we had a stronger voice, this would actually be an urgent issue. 
And that's what it's actually missing is urgency. There's nothing else to it. Aisha Williams added racial profiling by law enforcement as well. Like I've broken up relationships in the middle of a dinner party because I was dating a police officer. And the other police officers say something like, well, he fit the profile. And I'm like, my daddy is 6'2". My brother is 6'3". They're all both dark skinned with beards, slim build. It was just like every man in my family fits the profile. But these women also talked about education and, like many other voters, the cost of health care. More than anything, Rabia Burks resented the implication that it's a zero-sum game, that anyone has to lose out when it comes to a candidate reaching out and asking for a vote. You have to show up to the community every now and then and say, hey, I'm with you or something. Like, if all of your resources and all of your dollars are going to convince people who are not necessarily with you, then you make the other group feel like they're not they're not even worth being heard. This is all part of a wider debate in the Democratic Party about the idea of identity politics. So I reached out to California Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Right now, she's making her own bid to be part of the leadership of the Democratic caucus in Congress. I asked her what excuses she's heard over the years for the party taking black women voters for granted. It's interesting because they don't give an excuse because they don't even think about it. And I think that's part of the problem. They take us for granted. And over the years, it's been up and down, up and down. But for the most part, I don't believe that um, until now, at least, there's been a recognition of the value of African-American women, not only to the Democratic Party, but to the country. Is there something specific to this moment that you think is forcing the party to take this voter block more seriously? I think in this moment, uh, we saw major wins in um, Alabama and in Virginia. African-American women led the effort to, uh, you know, make sure that we won both of those races. And so black women have decided that you know, no longer are we going to be behind the scenes helping others. In this instance, this year, we see brilliant black women running for Congress around the country and for a variety of state and local offices. And that's a major breakthrough. And I think we have just said enough is enough. What are black women getting out of voting for Democrats? We definitely have heard from you what Democrats are getting out of it. Well, black women, I tell you, voting for Democrats, first of all, look at the alternative in terms of what they're getting out of Republicans. But when you look at the policies that the Democrats champion right now, especially as it relates to education, health care, housing, reducing the cost of prescription drugs, it was Democrats who have fought to make sure that uh, insurance companies don't deny coverage to anyone, especially African-American women, as it relates to pre-existing conditions. Who has these pre-existing conditions disproportionately? It's African-American men and women. And so I think when you look at the agenda of the Democratic Party, while we haven't gotten there yet where we should in terms of equality and justice for all, that's our agenda and that's our platform. When you look at the Republicans, they're just the opposite. And so I, you know, as a Democrat and as a progressive Democrat, I'm trying to make our party more responsive more inclusive, and more progressive. And uh, that will help African-American women achieve parity, equity, and justice in this country, as it will for everyone. Can you talk to the criticism that people feel like the Democratic establishment isn't always very good at backing black women candidates. The most famous example this cycle was Ayanna Presley in Boston, who did not get the support of the Congressional Black Caucus's own PAC. 
well, the CBC uh, is a separate entity from the uh, CBC PAC. So when you look at the firewalls, there are several organizations that are not uh, CBC uh Directed, and so the political action committee of the CBC makes the the board makes decisions on who to back and who not to back. But Ayana is a very smart, brilliant black woman politician with a lot of experience, and she showed that she could take on the establishment and win. And that's what black women are doing all around the country. This is a new day. This the old way doesn't work anymore, and we're going to see more and more of that. California Congresswoman Barbara Lee, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you. And Mr. DeSantis, I'm going to direct this next question to you. On live TV in August, on the first day of the general election campaign, you said of Andrew Gillum's run for governor, quote, the last thing we need to do is to monkey this up by embracing a socialist agenda. Fox News quickly disavowed your words, saying, quote, they do not condone the language. Now, you called some of this response absurd. You've made appearances at four of David Horowitz's Freedom Center events, again, four separate times, four speeches, among some of Mr. Horowitz's statements, quoting here, this country's only serious race war is against whites. You know, I'll ask the questions. It's not a McCarthy game, and I'm giving wait for the question, sir. Okay. He also said, if blacks are oppressed in America, why isn't there a black exodus? Now, in 2015, in your speech before the Freedom Center, you said of Mr. Horowitz, David has done such a great great work, and I've been an admirer. I've been to these conferences in the past, and I've been a big admirer of an organization that shoots straight, tells the American people the truth, and is standing up for the right thing. Those are his words. Here's my my question. He had not even made those statements then. Uh, Yes, he had, sir. The first statement was made uh, many years ago. How the hell am I supposed to know every single statement somebody makes? Here's the deal. I sat down this weekend with five voters in the Tampa, St. Petersburg area, and a note to viewers, we met before the full magnitude of the terrible shootings in Pittsburgh was clear. We gathered at a popular meeting place called the Oxford Exchange. The voters ranged in age from 27 to 75. Jake Hoffman is a Republican who owns a digital media company. Trevor Mallory is a Democrat who works at investing in affordable housing. Sandy Reef is a registered Republican but has been voting Democratic lately. He's a tax attorney. Liz Gutierrez is a Democrat who runs a nonprofit. And Sherry Denham is a Republican who's employed by a law firm. This election cycle is just as important or more important than 2016. You know, someone is calling this Trump's re-election. Trevor, what about you? Uh, How important do you think it is? It's like Sherry touched on. This is um, being called the Trump re-election. And um, for those that really don't want to hear that, um, now is the time to get up and make a difference. Let's talk about what's on your mind. What it, What is it that is driving your vote this time? There are a lot of issues. There's a lot of things at stake. We have two taxes on our ballot here in Hillsborough County. If those pass, we will be the highest taxed county in Florida. And so that's very important to me. With the unfortunate event in Parkland, you know, the Second Amendment has become a huge issue here in Florida. And, you know, I don't believe that we need more gun control rights. Why not? We need to help people who have mental health issues. That is the area that really needs to be addressed. It's not gun control. We need to reshift the focus to helping people that need help. What is it that is driving you uh, to make sure to vote that makes you believe these elections matter? 
So for me, I'm one of those silly people that believe in peace and justice for all, not just for some. While it is important to keep our taxes, for example, in check, it is also very important to invest uh, in the society and in our community. So if we don't educate our young children, if we don't create the best schools that we can, if folks don't have economic opportunity, then uh, we're all in trouble. What about you, Trevor? Um, what, what matters to you? Number one is education. In Pinellas County, we're at a rate of where the percentage is overwhelming on how many of our students can't read, and that needs to be changed. And I think it has to do with um, not the quality of teachers, but just the pay of the teachers. And number two, the gun laws. Um, we just have to change them. And I really commend those young kids at um, Storm and Douglas, the way they actually stepped up after the incident that happened there. And, and I believe they are really a key part of the, um, the, the excitement about this midterm election. And uh, number three is um, the restoration, the restoring of rights. I just think people need to get more educated on who's allowed to get their rights back, number one, and how long should it take and who shouldn't get their rights back. For a felon. For felons. Jake, what about you? What's driving you, especially in the, in the Senate and the governor's races? There's, there really is a lot. So as, as for me, personally, when I, whenever I see something about the environment on there, I'm, I'm excited if I have candidates that are, that are going to talk about that. Sandy, what about you? Um, you're, you've taken interest in politics. What matters most to you right now? Right now, health care does. Um, I'm on Medicare, and you know we don't have a good health care system in this country. Obamacare was excellent, and it's been beaten down. Uh, other issues that I think are uh, important, the environment, a sea level rise, yeah, climate change, that's important. People got to realize that if we don't do something like that, you know, the state of Florida will be underwater. Liz, let me come back to you. What are you thinking right now when you think about the, the governor's race um, between uh, um, Congressman DeSantis and uh, uh, the mayor of Tallahassee, Andrew Gillum? Um, the term, the word that comes to me is fear. It's really a hostile environment where folks, even regular people, don't feel comfortable in talking to each other because they're afraid of the differences in opinion might lead to something else. I, I kind of agree with, you know, what she said. People are afraid of, you know, one or the other. They're afraid, everybody's afraid of losing their rights, whether it's, you know, rights for guns or their rights to, a, like, a safe community. Trevor, how do you see the governor's race right now? Um, well, I have to say... Um during the primaries, I did support um, Mayor Andrew Gillum, and um, I've been actually still working to help support him. Mm -hmm. um, but once he won the nomination, and then uh, DeSantis came out with this comment about monkeying it up, I just think that line did not have to be crossed when you're talking about racism. You know, it, it was racially um, pushed, but it, it just didn't need to happen. You know, to, to the monkeying around comment, I. Personally, when I when I heard that, I didn't take that as a as a racial, you know, uh, issue. There's a lot of other things that I hear that I can say, wow, that that was meant. That that's egregious. That that's something that I think is racially charged. Well, we just had robocalls that were put out in around the state that that made uh, local news and, and state news, and they're clearly very racist. If you go and listen to them or, or read the transcripts, then that, that's something that you can see is is racially charged. But you can't pull racism from from one comment like that.
Trevor, is it possible that there's been an overreaction from the people supporting Andrew Gillum? I, I don't think there's an overreaction. I just think we, we took it, we commented on it, and we dealt with it, and now we're moving on. It actually um, ignited us in the African-American community because um, I want to touch on what you said. You said you don't think it's a racist comment, but at the same time, the robocall was in effect to monkeying it up because there was monkeys in the background. You know, and if you're going to deem that racial, then I think that comment or slip of the tongue, however you want to label it, that also has to be deemed as a, as a racial comment. Um, let me come to you, uh, Sandy, on, uh, on some of this. Um, governor's race, what do you see unfolding it's here? It's the entire political spectrum. Everybody's telling lies. Everybody, both, both Everybody political parties. Everybody is telling lies. It starts at the top, at the president of the United States, and it goes all the way down. Uh, every one of the commercials that you see is a lie uh, because they're trying to make their opponent look bad. We're not talking about the issues. The things that are important to the citizens of Florida and the citizens of our country. The governor's race, uh, Gillum, who are you for and why? Of course, I have to support Andrew Gillum. Uh, I am not the problem in our society. As a Latino woman, I am part of the, I'm a part of the solution. I'm a contributor. I'm a taxpayer. I'm a voter. I have everything to give. And if we don't have a society that values my contributions as equal as it values that of anyone else, what kind of society do we have? Sherry, what about you? Governor's race, Gillum, DeSantis. I am a Christian, a conservative, and a Republican. Um, so I vote my values. My number one value is pro-life. So I vote from a pro-life viewpoint, always. And um, so obviously I'm going to go for DeSantis. Um, I also voted for President Trump. Jake, as, as uh, involved with the young Republicans, you're supporting Republicans. Why Ron DeSantis in this governor's race? Because the, the alternative is very scary to me as far as a, an economic climate goes. Higher taxes all around is, is something that, that worries me. It, it really does worry me. I want to turn to uh, President Trump. How much does he, what he says, what he's done, uh, how much is that a factor in your, uh, the people you plan to vote for? What we're seeing and what we're hearing from him is just not uh, the, the typical role model I would want for my kids to look at. So um, when he comes down to, to support these candidates and has, have these rallies, um, it, it just stays negative. DeSantis was asked about whether or not Trump was a role model. It, the answer is no. Right? That's, not, that's not something that we should hesitate to say. Um, again, as a Republican, I take a lot of flack for, for certain things that I say, uh, whether it's because you know, it comes from a moderate, you know, reasonable position. But it's, it's easy to see that there, there are things that he says that are not okay. There, it's, it is okay to say that. And you can, uh, we can do that at the same time as agreeing with some of the, the policies that he has. Do you think he's an asset for Republicans this year? For, yes. Yeah, absolutely. He is going to do a great job at helping turn out the vote for Republicans. Yeah. I believe he is a force or positive. I don't think we needed just a nice, normal politician. I think our country was in such a state that we needed a wrecking ball to go into Washington and wreck it. How much does it, how much do you feel the country is divided right now? What do you think about that, Jake? And does it matter? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. The, the country is definitely divided. I mean, you see that 
at, at rallies. You see that at, at protests and counter-protests. I mean, we've got parties that are that are sitting on very far sides of the political spectrum. Well, the president is blaming a lot of this, uh, Sherry, on the on the news media, saying that the news media is contributing to the division. How do you how do you see that? There's a lot of things that we all agree on. I think we just have different roads and different avenues to get to these solutions. And I think that the I, I agree that the media does. It, it, it kind of leans toward, you know, more liberal. They have a very loud voice. Um, you know, a lot of my friends get put in Facebook jail or, you know, shadow banned on Twitter because they tweet out a lot of conservative things. And this is something that's really happening. So, I th- but honestly, at our core, I think we are more united than we are divided. I think we are very divided, and the president is trying to keep us further apart. Uh, you know, he refuses to take a position on, he hasn't commented negatively and said what happened with the bombs that have been sent out. You know, he's not condemned that like he should have. His ambivalence towards Saudi Arabia with Khashoggi, that it was something that should have been condemned right out. Those are the types of things. And he goes to the rallies and none of that is what's designed to bring us together. You know, you can document lie after lie after lie that he tells when he's out there speaking. If your candidate, your your man goes to Washington, what what would you like to see him give give a little on in order to reach uh, some sort of resolution? So I'm going to go in the opposite direction and say to you that the thing that I've been disappointed about is I think that uh, as Democrats we haven't been as strong. I think Republicans have been very clear about their messaging. I don't know that we as Democrats have that clear a sense of what the values are, and we have very strong values that I think are uh, beneficial to everyone, but I don't know that that we speak of them very clearly in a way that everyone understands. As far as Republicans go, um, again, I think we're going to need to pivot more on the environment because that is something that used to be a bipartisan issue, and education. So we used to be able to agree that let's make, if you walk outside, let's be able to take our kid to school and let's be able to breathe the air and, and go to the beach. You know, we just don't need to to fight on some of those things. This is my rifle! It was over almost as soon as it began. Responding officers arrived only minutes after the shooting started, but when they got there, the gunfire had stopped. So the question now, why did it happen? Breaking overnight, tragedy in Tallahassee. A gunman opening fire at a yoga studio in Florida, killing two and wounding five others before fatally shooting himself. We just heard, like, pow, 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 and we saw some people running down the stairs. Police say the shooter, 40-year-old Scott Paul Beerley, opened fire just after 5.30 Friday evening. All indications are this is the act of a single person. There is no immediate threat to our community. Those fortunate enough to escape headed to a nearby bar. Melissa Hutchinson tended to survivors. The gentleman who came in apparently tried to fight off the uh, attacker, and uh, he had quite a few wounds on his face. She recounted the victim's stories. They said that he came in and he had a a black bag. He pulled it out, and um, as they went to go load it, everybody started pounding on the windows and on the walls to let people know. The victims have been identified as 61-year-old Nancy Van Vessem and 21-year-old Maura Brinkley. Police have yet to determine a motive.
Late Friday, Ron DeSantis, the Republican candidate for Florida governor, called the news heartbreaking, sending prayers to the victims. And Tallahassee's Democratic mayor, Andrew Gillum, praised the police's quick response. DeSantis and Gillum are facing off in a tight race for the governor's seat on Tuesday. Gillum returning to Tallahassee late Friday, putting his campaigning on hold. That race between Gillum and DeSantis is one to watch on Tuesday. Tragedies like this one could have an effect. Much of the rhetoric between these two candidates and their politically polar opposites has turned on crime and gun control. Yeah, that one's going down to the wire. Matt, thank you very much for that. This question, why is this stuff happening? The New York Times article, I mean, editorial today. The Trump effect. See, this is what I'm doing with my money, buying newspapers like Dick Gregory. (laughs) The Trump effect and how it spreads. It says we are on the brink, under, under Trump, on the brink of fascism. New York Times, all the news that's fit to print. Editorial 1210-2015. I say fascism is in-stage white supremacy. See, it's, I mean, just like in Nazi Germany. Fascism, system of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. In the day's other news, federal prosecutors asked a judge to deny bail for the man who allegedly sent package bombs to top Democrats and critics of President Trump. Caesar Sayoc appeared in federal court in Miami. And another package addressed to CNN showed up in Atlanta. The FBI said it was, quote, similar in appearance to the others. System of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. The man accused of killing two black shoppers at the Jefferson Town Kroger and what city leaders are calling a hate crime was arraigned this morning. Wave the News reporter Felicia Ashley with more from the newsroom on what happened in court this morning. The courtroom was packed today for Gregory Bush's arraignment. Extra chairs were brought in for Maurice Stallard and Vicki Lee Jones's family and friends. Today, Gregory Bush entered a not guilty plea for allegedly killing Vicki Lee Jones and Maurice Stallard last Wednesday. Angela Elliman is representing Bush in court. She said she understands the pain the community feels, but says Bush still has a right to his time in court. It's particularly in times of loss and tragedy that our Constitution and our laws can be particularly tested. So Mr. Bush, of course, has rights to due process and a fair trial that we all are honored to have. After the arraignment, I did speak with the victim's family and friends. They said at this time they were not ready to talk, but they are still heartbroken and do feel the pain from losing Jones and Stallard. Bush will be back in court on January 15th, reporting from the newsroom. System of racism, white supremacy, determined to survive. Cooking her favorite family recipes, Connie Mela has felt comfortable in her new home she just purchased in Philadelphia's Tacony section. That is until she received a letter addressed to our new neighbors. <laughs> Connie sat down with her son Elvis Mela, who described the profanity-laced letter and the threats against his mother. Yeah, they're going to burn down the house, they're going to bomb it down. 
Hateful words claiming to be the town watch, mocking Connie for not speaking English and insisting that if she plays her music loudly or has loud trucks or sells drugs, they'll firebomb the house. She never had a problem with no neighbors. Is she the type of person that she prefer to make sure everybody like her? Connie has Dominican roots, but is an American citizen and has lived in the U.S. for nearly two decades. While the letter warned her not to go to the police, she says she reported it. Her son doesn't understand who would do this. We humans, we can talk. It's grown-ups, like, they can talk to her as a grown-up. He says that's the neighborly way to solve a problem. I'm Rosemary Connors, NBC10 News. Kaddish for the tree of life. Kaddish in Jewish ritual is sung at the graveside of the departed. It is a chant, a song, a psalm of life and loss, which now, in the quiet city of Pittsburgh, must be sung almost a dozen times after a white racist armed with an AK entered a synagogue, a Jewish temple, during a naming ceremony for children and left death in his wake. This massacre occurred just days or hours after another man left over a dozen bombs to be mailed to several former presidents, an actor, and several prominent black politicians. What connects these two events besides time? Both men left messages online showing hatred for immigrants, whom they called invaders. Where have we heard that word recently? At Trump rallies, the U.S. president sends his audiences into wild applause when he damns people of Latin America as invaders of North America. Yes, it must be said that Trump spoke out against anti-Semitism or anti-Jewish hatred recently. But I ask you, if you can, to listen again you will hear silence, no applause, no yells or peals of agreement, just silence of the lambs. President Trump began his campaign by damning Mexicans and flashed from there to immigrants. And after his embrace of the white nationalists of Charlottesville, Virginia, who can be surprised at the flash fire of hatred for Jews? Trump has lit the flames of rhetoric with his tongue at rallies across the nation. How can we be surprised when those who hear him send bombs or open fire? From Imprisoned Nation, this is Mumia Abu Jamal. The death of a Ferguson protester's son is being investigated right now as a suicide. Although the family asserts that something else is more likely to blame. Uh, Melissa McKinney's uh, is the mother who found Donye Jones's body back on October 17th, hanging from a tree in the backyard of their home in Spanish Lake in St. Louis County. A police report lists suicide as the nature of the investigation. Um, but both McKinney's and the family say that there are details about the story that make it seem like suicide is not actually the cause. McKinney says Jones had bruises on his face. McKinney's and police say there was a chair near the body. Uh, Melissa was quoted as saying a mother knows her child. He was not suicidal at all. He was in good spirits. And additionally, family members uh, told a local uh, TV station that the sheets used to hang him didn't come from their house 
and the knots used to tie the sheets were advanced, they said they don't believe that Jones would have been capable of making those knots. However, we won't know for sure what might have happened if there was some sort of assault. For several weeks, the medical examiner's determination could take at least that long. And they don't have any intention of making any preliminary findings available before that. Okay, so this one is a very hard story because, look, some of the stories we cover about racial injustice in this country are clear, crystal clear, no matter what the authorities say. So I remember a story we did recently where the, uh, we showed you the video of the cops punching the guy in the face repeatedly, and he falls to the ground. In the police report, they said that they had assisted him to the ground. Yeah. Well, I guess in a matter of speaking, you did by punching him in the face repeatedly. So, uh, and, and so we're not afraid to say on this show that cops lie from time to time. Now, it doesn't mean all cops lie. It doesn't mean a majority of the cops lie. But do cops lie? Uh, Fairly regularly throughout the country, and particularly against minorities. Unfortunately, the answer is yes. Okay. Now, in this case, it is very hard to tell. So, I want everybody to reserve judgment because, like they say, the chair was near the body. But if you're going to commit suicide, you would have a chair mm-hmm. nearby. Otherwise, how would you get up there? They say that he um, couldn't do those type of knots. Hard to tell whether you're. 24-year-old son could or couldn't do a particular kind of knot. Mm-hmm. That seems a little hard to, to fathom. Um, so on the other hand, there are, there are weird parts of this story. If the autopsy shows he actually did have bruise on his face, well, that would be very relevant. Uh, and then um, she says, the mom in this case, who was the protester at Ferguson, says that people have been coming by her house yeah. after threatening her online. That's a well, boy, that's incredibly strange. And she says they watched my house. And, you know, it's possible she's being paranoid. That's entirely possible. It's also possible that it's true. Yeah. Right? But the one that really got me at the end was uh, police are still investigating two different murders of other Ferguson protesters. And it's been a while now. DeAndre Joshua was killed in November 2014, and Darren Seals was killed in September of 2016. Could be a coincidence that they both happen to be Ferguson protesters, and the mom in this case is a Ferguson protester. But the way that they were killed was incredibly strange. They were killed inside their cars, and the and the cars were lit on fire. Mm-hmm. The chances of that happening coincidentally to two different people—that is a very strange way to die. Yeah, your car Super being specific. lit on fire, right? Yeah. And to, and that was in 2014, 2016. Now we have 2018. So. That's why we want to be able to trust the cops in this country. Because if we if we trust them, we go, okay, great, the cops are going to investigate it, and we'll find out. Maybe there is a connection between all three. Maybe it wasn't a suicide. Right. And and it's depressing that oftentimes, you know, we we don't have as much faith as we would like in law enforcement. Uh, and that's why when if they declare it a suicide right away, we worry that. That that is a jumping to conclusions. Yeah, the the third possibility is that he was killed in a way that made it look like a suicide, not by the police, and the police are simply assuming it's a suicide because that is. Oh no the no! I, I, thing that you thank you for pointing that out, John. I don't even want to imply that the cops did it. No 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 no. Okay. It could be other vigilantes or you know right wingers, racists, whatever it might be in the area who are targeting these people, or it could be totally unrelated. It could be a death. It related to other crimes, mm-hmm. and then they did a suicide, and the mom happens to be a Ferguson protester. That's why there's no way of knowing now. So we're just giving you the relevant information, and I really, it's not just a 
thing to say on air. I really don't want anybody jumping to conclusions because we have no idea what happened. Yeah, but it's going to be very interesting when the autopsy comes out. Yes. If those bruises were actually inflicted by someone else. Yeah, and to me, it's frustrating when either side makes a, a conclusion without having enough evidence. Oh, he it definitely wasn't a suicide. Well, you definitely can't say that, right? And the other side that immediately goes, well, I was obviously a suicide. Let's, let's keep going. No, also not obvious. It doesn't take that much to do a little bit of further investigation. Now, the great news here is the prosecutor in this area is now Wesley Bell. He's a, mm-hmm. he's a great progressive, and he defeated McCullough, who covered for the cops who killed Michael Brown in Ferguson. So the fact that McCullough's not there anymore gives us tremendous faith. By the way, that's why voting matters. If Wesley Bell is at some point in charge of these investigations, mm-hmm. then I have way more confidence that we're going to actually get to the truth. Context of white supremacy. Gus T. Renegade in for another broadcast, hopefully to share constructive information on the system of white supremacy. Today's date, Saturday, November 3rd, 2018. So I have been told this is our weekly compensatory call-in. Dial in if you have thoughts, questions, observations, uh, any of the news segments, if anything uh, was particularly noteworthy uh, or any of the other events that took place over the past seven days, dial in to share your view. The number 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. few things before we get to folks who dialed in. First, we are listener-supported, counter-racist radio. If the cows has provided constructive information, you can invest by visiting my blog, racism-notes.blogspot.com. Racism-notes.blogspot.com. PayPal button is in the top right corner. If you are not into PayPal, drop me an email and we will get you a physical mailing address. Enormous gratitude to all of the investors who have contributed, supported the context of white supremacy for almost a decade. I hope the program has been, continues to be worthy of your time and energy. Uh, You can also support the cows uh, by visiting my wish list at amazon.com. It is linked at my blog. Uh, it's Gus T. Renegade. If you go to Amazon, again, much obliged to all of the listeners who've nabbed items from my wish list for nearly a decade. Again, share the program if you think it's helpful in disseminating constructive, accurate information about what racism, white supremacy is, and how it works. We are still having difficulties with the iTunes upload. 
uh, and trying to get the more recent content uh, at the RSS feed and, and all of that updated. Uh, in the meantime, the archives are current at Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, Mr. Fox has been uploading content uh, at YouTube. Hugely constructive investment of time and energy, uh, him sharing the content so that more people can access the cows. Uh, we're also uh, available at Google Play, SoundCloud, getting uh, the most recent broadcasts updated at SoundCloud uh, as of today and yesterday, getting those broadcasts uploaded as well. So lots of other places to access the cows archives. Other things that stood out from the audio and from this week in general. Mumia Abu-Jamal, I have been thinking we should read one of his books in the book club, uh, either live from death row. I think that's his most most popular text, uh, though he has many all things censored, uh, death blossoms, many books, prolific uh, writer, journalist, longtime fan I am. Uh, but the segment that he did this week on the synagogue shooting, Mumia Abu-Jamal spent about a quarter of a century, I believe, approximately, on death row and him even being alive, much less uh, being able to write and publish and have, you know, audio commentary published uh, on a pretty regular basis, uh, frequently, you know, two or three times uh, a week. Uh, he's been doing this for some years. Whites are directly involved in all of those things happening, and especially he's been having health problems uh, of late. How could he not in that environment? Uh, I suspect that might that might contribute to him having to address things like that because it wasn't it wasn't let me be specific it wasn't that he addressed the Pittsburgh shooting, but it was addressed in a manner that seemed to have a lot of sympathy for individuals that I believe to be suspected racists. Um, I, if I speak about the synagogue shooting, it would just be another illustration of white terrorism. Uh, whites frequently have arguments with other whites. Sometimes they will have arguments with another individual that is a suspected racist and say, well, I think that this person is a so-called Jew. Uh, and therefore, you know, you're worthy of being mistreated. And, you know, that's all it is to it. That happens frequently. Uh, that still means, in my view, that individual that's being attacked, they could be a racist suspect. So it would be very different in the way that I talk about it. And the thing that I thought of, Mr. Mumia Abu-Jamal, if we heard what he had to say, he said what he said, right? VGQ, Victims Guaranteed Qualified. I'd be very interested if the people at the synagogue have ever, over the past 25 years, addressed with sympathy Mr. Mumia Abu-Jamal and his situation. Sent him a care package, few oranges, holidays are coming up, thank you, you know, letter for even addressing their situation. Thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule, being in greater confinement to, you know, pause and uh, send your condolences. We appreciate even Even that, I would be very curious. And even if they did, still suspected racists. Next. The conversation where they had the uh, summit of powerful black female voters. Two weeks in a row, we have <laughs> the allegation, the charge that there is a, a group of powerful black people. 
I snickered both times. Two weeks in a row, I got a good chuckle in. Uh, last week, it was the powerful NAACP. Now, even if I take it in the context, I think Ivy said that the NAACP is powerful. It is a powerful white controlled organization, even if I take it in that context. I say, okay. When September 11, 2001, the towers come down and the Pentagon and all of that, George W. Bush, he came out to ground zero. He gave his talk. He didn't say that no good bin Laden took those planes, knocked those buildings down. I just got off the phone with the NAACP. It's a done deal, man. Don't worry about it. They got it. I didn't see that video. Even in the context of powerful organizations controlled by whites, I do not think of the NAACP as being in the top 50. I could be wrong. <clears throat> this week, it was powerful black female voters. They made it seem like black female voters are in control of the ballot box. Who is going to be president, governor? Like they, Every decision is going to come down to who black females decide this coming to. Are you serious? Come on now. Come on now. If that is the case, then how did Donald Trump? Anyway. They minimize, in my view, the real power, white women. 52% of them went for Donald Trump. That, in my view, powerful voting block right there. Why not have a segment on the power, white women in the Me Too movement and the hypocrisy or at minimum the paradox? How in the Me Too movement did 52% go for Donald Trump? And what does that mean for the coming election? You heard that white woman say, I'm going with DeSantis. No way I'm going to monkey around and put that uh, Gillum character in talking about the Florida situation. But yeah, am I again, if I am confused, I know we have black females who vote. I'm not saying that you shouldn't vote, but I mean, really, really. Continuing. Speaking of the Florida governor's race. We had Dr. Marvin Dunn, Florida historian, native uh, author on the program, repeat guest. He was on the program this past Wednesday. Wish we could have got some of the Florida listeners in. Uh, it was kind of a, a last, well, I won't say that, but it was a program that was made without a lot of advance notice, the race and everything being covered. And Dr. Dunn had time to speak with us. Uh, so folks may not have known that this broadcast was going to take place, but was great. It's in the archives. On that program, Dr. Dunn seemed very confident that <clears throat> Mr. Gillum, black male, is going to win the governor's office in the state of Florida for the coming election this week. Be the first black male governor in the history of the state of Florida. And in, he's leading in the polls. I think the most recent poll that I looked at in the New York Times, I think he was he was up by maybe five percentage points, I think, uh, something approximately in that area. And I told Dr. Dunn uh, on Wednesday, I said, I think uh, I'm going to go with DeSantis. I think it'll be close, but I'm going to go with the white man. There was a shooting. I played the audio clip. There was a shooting at a Florida yoga studio in Tallahassee, significant because Mr. Gillum, Mayor Gillum, uh, he is the mayor of the said town, Tallahassee, where this shooting happened at a yoga studio, no less. A white man, of course, he killed two 
and reportedly killed himself on the scene. I thought this was hugely important. This shooting happened yesterday. The election is Tuesday. A man, you heard it in the audio segment. If you listen to the most recent debate, a major talking point of the white man, Republican candidate, Mr. DeSantis, uh, has been, in addition to don't monkey around, has been <clears throat> crime. We got all this crime and murders happening in Tallahassee. It is just run amok. We've monkeyed around and let this nigra be mayor and look at the city. It is the most dangerous city in the world. Are we going to do the same to Florida? And now to have this shooting happen? Oh, DeSantis. And it works on multiple levels because with this, if you have any of that talk about gun gun control, you heard uh, the white woman, 52%. She said, uh, it's Second Amendment. Let's not monkey around with the Second Amendment. You heard it directly from the white woman. It works on multiple, there are multiple points, topics, points of interest uh, for suspected racists with this shooting incident at the yoga studio that I think would favor, support Mr. DeSantis. I'm very interested. Any of our listeners in the Florida area, if you have a thought on who is going to win the election, the black male, Mr. Gillum, or the white male, Mr. DeSantis, Share your thought and why. Uh, and if you have any thoughts on the uh, yoga studio shooting uh, and how that might impact, you know, what's being said or how the election may uh, conclude in the Sunshine State. Let's see. Two incidents that happened. Speaking of yoga, two incidents that happened. Uh, this week with Gusty and my yoga practice, and then we'll get to the callers. First incident, I'm leaving yoga. I stopped by the store. This is in context of us just reading uh, Black Love is a Revolutionary Act and a lot of the conversation that we had around that text. I go to the store. There's a Black female uh, who works there. I see her on a regular basis. And I'm about to leave there was a white woman. She was talking about how her son, she was just shopping randomly and she was talking about how she was getting groceries for her son who was in school. And she uh, mentioned that he was like 25 or something older than, you know, a lot of people be like, wow, to be still living at home and having your mom buying groceries. Like, okay. And uh, the black female, she was like, oh my God, I would never uh, do such a thing. Like she, and she does not have children very important. She does not have children. But she says, yeah, I would never uh, do such a thing. I mean, my goodness, you know, 18 or so, like out of there, like, yes, I'll be there to help and all that, but no way. Are you going to be staying, you know, in the house at 25 and, and, I, and I'm buying you groceries? Like, oh my gosh. And uh, she says, uh, and somehow in this conversation about her imaginary children, it drifts from the impossibility of them being allowed to stay at home to her frustration if they should end up being with a white woman. And she says, uh, she gets, you know, in her full rant mode and she's like, man, if they were, were with a white woman, I would take a knife and I would put it to their throat. Do you think I'm going to raise children for all that time? And have them become feverish and out here chasing white women. And I'll tell you, that note, and bro, I mean, she was on a roll. And I stopped. I have absolutely 
no sympathy for any of that. That's just, you know, a side note that is important to know uh, for future reference. That's been the case for a while, but black love is a revolutionary act greatly intensified my inability to sympathize for that perspective at all. So I immediately interrupted all of this pattern. I've seen this too many times. What did I ask? Have you been uh, romantically involved with a white man? I didn't even ask it correctly. And (laughs) she came back more codified than I did. How did she answer? I've had sexual intercourse with a white man. I think she left the intercourse side. It was, I've had sex with a white man. Insert cowbell. I asked her politely if she had a blade I could borrow because there's going to be one less feverish coon in the world today. We had a chuckle. No one was stabbed. And uh, end of story. Uh, Hypocrisy. What can I say? Incident number two. I am at the yoga studio. Have a wonderful class. I'm preparing to leave. I exit and I hear like steps behind me. I turn suspected racist female. Now for context, it is, we'll say about 10, 15 PM late evening, dark uh, outside. And it's about, five blocks from the yoga studio, five straight line blocks from the yoga studio to my residence. So I suspected racist. She uh, pops up. She was just in the yoga class. I've seen her at, you know, two or three class. We've never spoken. I just, I recognize her face from the class. So she catches up and she says, I love your shirt. Oh, I needed that. I wish I had that when I was in Hong Kong. Now, I've never had a white person in the six years that I've been wearing this shirt. I've never had a white person say, I need that shirt. I would like to have that shirt. Can I buy that shirt? They never, never, you know, and I've worn the shirts hundreds of times now. I've never had a white person say to me, I need that shirt. I'd like to have that shirt. Can I buy that shirt? Never. Just it would be some variation of I like that shirt. I had a suspected racist female say that to me today in yoga class. She said, I like your shirt, sir. Very well said. Not I need that shirt. I like that shirt. Why would someone classified as white need a shirt that says, please treat me like I am a white person? So when this suspected racist who caught up with me after the class and she said, I like your shirt. I needed that shirt when I was in Hong Kong. I think, wait a minute, because I did have an asterisk. uh, Well, there was some suspicion that this individual may not be classified as white. She did have some pigmentation. It would be someone where there would be enough question that I would perhaps want to ask others, ask individuals who are classified as white without ambiguity. Do you think this is someone is white? If I had a photograph so I could ask you all, do you think this is someone who would be accepted as white? There was question. But then she said that the question comes back. So she explains. I said, you know, why would you need this shirt in Hong Kong? And she says, I was there and I had an incident where a non-white person saw her, I guess a Chinese person saw her and said, oh, 
are you a nanny? And she just assumed, I guess she said, because they have a lot of people that come from the Philippines, uh, non-white people, they come there and they just are nannies. They take care of children. And so she assumed that she was uh, a Filipina woman that came there to be a nanny of some sort. And so she interpreted this as an act of racism. Uh, and she said there were other instances where she felt the people did not think of her as white. However, she also said that there were times where they did think of her as white. And she gave specific examples. She said that uh, she was working and at her job, she was there and there was a black female uh, born in the world, uh, part of the world known as Kenya. And she said that the person who was doing the hiring was talking to her about salaries. And she said, okay, so you're going to get this amount and this black female is going to get this amount, which is substantially lower. It's so, in fact, the difference was so substantial that the suspected racist, that's what I still got to call her, suspected racist, she says the difference was so substantial that I said, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> this uh, Kenyan female, she has a master's in business. That's what we're doing here. She has a master's. I don't even have that. She says, but yeah, you're a white American, right? And she says, yeah, suspected racist. Uh, she says, yeah. And she says, yeah, that's going to be your salary and that's going to be her salary. And she said, I was stunned. I said, I couldn't believe it. They don't do that sort of thing here in the States. Now, that would be another one uh, for me where I'd say, now, see, suspected racist, because uh, you cannot be white uh, and honestly believe that black people, Negras, are compensated to the same amount as whites anywhere in the world, uh, the United States or anywhere else in the known universe. You cannot believe that. So that's what I mean. She's still suspected racist, but uh, she continues and she's talking about just different ways that she was treated. And she, she said another one where there would be question about her classification. She said, because one of her parents is Italian. One of her parents is uh, born in the part of the world known as Spain. And so, as I said, she does have a little bit more complexion and she does have kind of a peculiar accent. She says she can speak Italian. Uh, she can speak Spanish. Obviously, obviously she can speak uh, English, but she does, you know, she has a little bit of an accent. So, and, and her name. Uh, now, her name, Coco. Uh, but if you see her full name, I could understand where someone classified as white might have a question about her classification. For me, because I tend to make errors, she's just going to have to be a suspected racist. And because I saw her at 10 p.m. evening, pretty dark, and I said, oh, I could see maybe where she, you know, she does have some pigment. I saw her like 48 hours later. It was lighter and she looked substantially more pale. Suspected racist. That's just for my own protection, uh, and I'm willing to be incorrect on that one until I get uh, a substantial increase in data to say, okay, this individual is definitely not white. And in fact, she said, I posted it on Facebook. When I asked her, I said, so are you white? She said, I consider myself hazelnut. Hazelnut. That's the sort of comment that I say, see, you're going to be on the suspected racist list until this problem is solved. Next. 
the compensatory call-in specifically, I request that individuals not use metaphors. Uh, make that uh, request for this broadcast exclusively. Uh, and I do that for the reason that racists frequently, they generate confusion. They do it deliberately by using metaphors, similes, analogies, a lot of times to insist uh, that two separate entities are identical when they are not. We had fascinating metaphor use in some of the audio segments uh, when they were talking with some of the voters in the Florida area about the governor's race. And the white woman, she said she was talking to 52 percent white women 2016. Why we have President Donald J. Trump, uh, the white woman, she said we needed a wrecking ball to go in there talking about Washington, D.C. We needed a wrecking ball to go in there and, you know, just move things around. That was her metaphor for Donald J. Trump. And I thought back when Mr. Fuller said that the way that a lot of individuals classified as white, a lot of them think we had that nigra in the White House for almost a decade. That place needs to be destroyed. How dare you have a good white man or good white woman follow and come sit in the chair where a nigra sat and his nigra family for a year. And they monkeyed the whole place up. <laughs> it needs to be. Fum that's what he said. He said it needs to be fumigated. And then that's her metaphor. We needed a wrecking ball. And Facebook jail got to be a metaphor. Does such a place exist? Do you get anally raped in Facebook uh, jail? Anyone in greater confinement in Facebook jail? Metaphors, very important and using it to suggest white victimization. I'm in Facebook jail. I went on there and I just was posting nigger jokes and now I'm in Facebook jail. If we could not use metaphors, I would appreciate it. I will prompt about that. Thank you kindly. Number again is 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Uh, first few, oh, if you could take about five minutes to share whatever thoughts, observations you have, that would be grand. Uh, if you know you are in a noisy environment, if you could use your mute button, that would be very much appreciated. And then uh, when you're ready to speak, if you can get to a quiet space, make your commentary, and then you can mute your line again. That way we don't have any unnecessary uh, disruptions to the broadcast. Much obliged. And again, if you could take about five minutes to make sure that everyone gets an opportunity to speak at least once. Thank you kindly. First few folks who dialed in with a hand up, line should be open. If you have commentary to share, proceed. Yes, ma'am. Greetings, Scott, and greetings to all the callers on the line. Um, it was said uh, on the broadcast the other day, I think, uh, with Dr. Dunn, that most white people um, wouldn't kill uh, black people. Um, I don't believe that's true at all. 
Uh, white people kill black people in a variety of ways. I mean, they're killing us by the hundreds of thousands just through homelessness alone. Um, and not to mention all the other uh, ways that they deprive us, deprive us of, of resources, um, just, you know, denying us jobs and all these, all these things. The deprivation of resources is designed to kill people, um, and that's exactly what they um, are trying to do. And they even, as you mention all the time, how they even make uh, jokes about uh, killing us, um, that, you know, much of their racist jokes are centered around um, us being killed and our death. Um, thank you for reading The Man Not. Um, it, it was said in the, you know, in the book club about, um, you know, caping for black men. Well, I cape for them. Um, and I'm black, I'll identify it, and I'm a black apologist. Um, what's wrong with any, what's wrong with that? Um, black people, so many lies are told about black people. Um, and we need to be, um, defended. And so many lies are told about black men more than just anyone. Um, and I will, I want to make this uh, clear as well that when I say lies, um, even when I'm talking about things that are said from other victims, I'm not calling, I'm not saying that the, the victims are, are saying, are telling lies. What I am saying is that the lies, most likely the, the source of, of the, the inaccurate information that the victims have, have spread, that they got that from um, white people, because when there is uh, false information that is negative against black people, white people are usually the source. And um, they, they are, lies are about, that. the term lie is about intent, and their intent is to lie, their intent is to slander um, in order to justify practicing racism. Um, I like how you said on the book club that, you know, women have, uh, that black women have uh, problems with each other as well. It's not just uh, black men against each other and, and things like that. Um, one, thing I, one thing I think of is a lot of the fighting. Um, there's a lot of that and a lot of filming of that. Um, but I will say that uh, nobody does it better than white people. Um, when you think about assault, 65% um, of, of those are uh, white people and you know only 30% are us. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about um, the, the 30%. But I mean, even when you... Um, go and when you go on YouTube, for an example, and you you punch in like street fights, you pretty much get the truth. You get white people, and then you get women in general, and then you get uh, just anyone else. Um, but I will say this: they they got it wrong when they do when they when they when white people do pop up because the first thing that you see is uh, white men, and it's it's white women that's that's doing that um, first and foremost because women are are mainly the ones who are um, fighting each other and. Um, and filming, and I'm almost done. The last thing I want to say is that rape came up a lot in the book club, and 57% um, of the, uh, the of the rapists are are white, 27 are black. And I'm um, speaking of these these stats about assault and and rape from um, the F the FBI. And um, so that that was it for now. I'll mute my line. Thanks everyone. Thanks Gus. Much obliged, Ivy. White people kill for fun. In addition, and right <laughs> on the same subject, uh, in the state of Washington, where I am, the great plantation of Seattle, uh, they have uh, mutual combat laws so that if the two individuals are both over the age of 18 and they're, you know, out in public and they have a dispute or what have you and say, you know, hey, let's, you know, let's duke it out. And they both agree 
that's not a crime and the police will just sit back and eat popcorn and watch the brawl and until i think the rule is somebody if somebody goes down then you have to stop but you can just fight it out no problem and everyone can pull out their recorders and have a good time you i'm sure you can look and find quite a few brawls in the state of washington and they don't have lots of niggers in washington state so other folks who dialed in uh who have a hand up line should be open proceed oh the book club how did i forget we are not on fridays the book club as previously mentioned the man not thursdays 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific dr tommy curry's the man not we just started this past thursday this coming thursday segment number two 8 p.m eastern 5 p.m pacific others that we've not heard from can i be heard mr Steele. Howdy doody, everybody. It's uh, Ken Steele, and I'm calling uh, live from Los Angeles. And um, I, I want to say, um, uh, you know, thanks, Gus, for having this program and um, keeping it going for so long. I, I noticed there was like a brief hiatus. Um, I'm, I'm glad to hear that you have uh, been certified and you're um, getting uh, even um, uh, more knowledge in the area. Of, of yoga. And that kind of brings me to uh, what I wanted to discuss was the shooting that took place in, um, I believe it was Tallahassee, Florida, at the yoga facility. Uh, I remember when it happened uh, because I was uh, doing an online broadcast and I was looking up another shooting and this shooting came up and it became abundantly clear um, what it was to me. Um, very early on, uh, it, it turned out to, that my uh, premonitions uh, were correct. Um, it's uh, alleged that the shooter uh, was a person who identifies themselves as, uh, quote, incel. Um, that is, uh, I guess, a shorthand Internet term for an involuntary celibate. That is uh, somebody who is, uh, um, I guess, uh, not without uh, activity in the eighth area um, uh, willingly. So this is basically a sexually frustrated white male who went to a yoga facility and attacked um, uh, mostly white women, I imagine, um, and, uh, and was using his, I guess, lack of sexual access to them as justification for his um, attacks. And uh, I just want to say that there was that said that the FBI is not investigating any threats online um, surrounding, um, uh, I guess, uh, that or any threats online that are coming from uh, white uh, uh, suspected terrorists or people who are planning terrorist attacks. And uh, throughout the Internet, there are communities of incels that are uh, have gathered and they have a whole culture they have a whole set of language and they even have like a um, i guess a term they call the day of retribution or which is what they call whenever they plan on um, taking out carrying out attacks um this person was active on the internet um there were plenty of warning signs you can see where they congregate um there's even been um, incel forms that have been taken down because of their relation to mass shootings, 
most famously uh, with the Elliot Roger incident. And I think that uh, victims of racism need to familiarize themselves with these online communities and these, uh, I guess, online subcultures that are determinately against them. Because one thing that's common amongst incels is that they have a belief that black people have an innate ability to uh, uh, have sexual access and have low inhibition or whatever and um, are able to um, get with women that they desire and that they feel entitled to. So that is a fuel for a lot of their actions. And uh, if you go back to the Elliot Roger case, he makes this abundantly clear that he's uh, upset that people who are, quote, um, uh, less white than he is, because he was half white or he was half Asian, I guess. Um, he, he makes, uh, uh, I guess, specific um, grievances about uh, this uh, occurrence. So, um, you know, familiarize yourself with these uh, communities. They are um, the home of terrorism here um, in the United States. Uh, you can pretty much predict attacks by following their posts. Um, and if the government isn't going to do it, then uh, it's going to be us that has to do it uh, to protect ourselves. Um, I'm going to go ahead and mute my line. Thank you so much. Much obliged, Mr. Steele. White terrorism abounds. Uh, I would encourage, uh, I don't think uh, half white, I think Mr. Fuller has that in the word guide in terms of encouraging folks not to use that term. Either you are white or not. In fact, my joiner Lucas guest on the program, that was his song. It wasn't half white, it was half nigger, but same same concept. Joyner Lucas, half nigger, back in the cow's uh, cows archives. Uh, Other folks who dialed in uh, who have commentary they would like to share. Line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, retired firefighter. Greetings, Gus. Gre- greetings, everyone. Uh, you. Uh, had some questions. I, 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 I'm disappointed in myself that I missed uh, Dr. Dunn's uh, appearance, second appearance. Um, uh, and I, ha- I had knowledge of it uh, uh, before, but I, I think I got tied up in something else. Uh, well, I shouldn't say tied up. I, I think I... Uh, was uh, involved with something else and it kind of distracted me from uh, when I did have the time to tune in. I forgot forgotten about it until it was too late. Uh, but uh, I think you have some questions uh, uh, regarding uh, either Dr. Dunn or something about in the state of Florida. I think you were talking about the, uh, the gubernatorial uh, contest. Yes, sir. Uh, the questions for any of our listeners in the state of Florida, who, in your view, do you think will win the governor's race, DeSantis or Gillum, and why? And if you are aware about the yoga shooting, if you have any thoughts uh, on that and how that might impact the governor's race. Yes. OK, well, I'll uh, I'll take it one at a time. Uh uh first and foremost i must must say boy if 
if uh, uh, Mr. Gillum does not become the governor of the state of Florida, the stress level for non-white, the collective non-white black people in the state of Florida, whatever is considered to be unhealthy, <laughs> well, well, I would say it's already unhealthy, but beyond unhealthy, it would it would go to that level. <laughs> from from my uh, uh, VGQ uh, gathering, based on uh, just about everywhere, you know, people are talking about the vote, the vote, and they primarily are talking about the vote specifically to uh, help this uh, black male get this job. Uh, It is very, it's much more closer, in my opinion, than what I think Dr. Dunn is alluding to. First of all, uh, I would say that when uh, Mr. Gillum did not answer directly to the question about the tickets to the, uh, the, I think it was a play or something, that he went to, he didn't go directly to it. He made a couple of uh, metaphors. He got some applause. Primarily the applause was from, you know, people who were going to vote for him anyway. Uh, in the uh, that uh, first debate, uh, and then it got to a point to where he had to give some sort of answers towards it later on. Uh, I don't think that was uh, for his t- towards his best interest, and uh, definitely with the uh, with the Tallahassee uh, killings, uh, it would. Uh, directly have a negative impact on Mr. Gillum. Uh, constantly, uh, and it, it's got to be in the millions of dollars, in the, in the multi-millions of dollars, uh, the amount of times that commercials come on about Mr. Gillum uh, as being untrustworthy. Uh, I mean, I understand, from my, from my standpoint, you know the propaganda. You know that's that's a part of the uh, the process, uh, and primarily that white people do, uh, because they because you know non-white people, non-white black people, especially he, he doesn't have the money to uh, put commercials on TV, uh, that sort of thing. The commercials that are in his favor are put on there from white people that is going to have control over his actions if he does get the job. Uh, Similar to on a a higher level, I I would say similar to what uh, Mr. Obama uh, was involved in. It's just, you know, isolated with the state of Florida, I would would presume, as far as that concerned. But uh, did I answer all of the questions? There's something else that I left off? That answers both of the questions. Yes, sir. yeah. Uh, other than that, other than that, uh, I just had a thought about quote unquote uh, funerals. I'm tired of going to them as far as they're concerned. Uh, for the most part, as far as what traditionally they they uh, mean, it's, it's a waste of 
of uh, money, for one thing, uh, especially in a traditional sense, going to a building called a church, quote unquote, that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, uh, you have to pay, you have to pay uh, the people, quote unquote, in the church. Uh, to and I don't I don't see what's the real purpose of that at all, and and basically uh, uh, there's some other more constructive things that we can be doing in that process. Uh, we make too much of an emphasis on that period of time that we all know is going to happen. Uh, for one thing, as opposed to in between birthday and death day we put the emphasis emphasis in between those two those two days uh as a, as opposed to putting a whole lot of time and energy uh when we are no longer breathing and uh hopefully i have some understanding of what i'm saying if not i think i can i can uh uh be a little bit more precise uh if i need to be and that's all i have to say thank you much obliged, retired firefighter. Context of white supremacy. Uh, the number again, 641-715-3640. The code 564-943-POUND. Press star 61 if you would like to participate. Other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, if we've not heard from you, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, uh, this is a first-time caller, and I'd like to thank you, Gus, for the program. Um, when I was listening to the, uh, I guess, the um, when the, they were talking to the Florida voters and uh, the black guy said, it's not the quality of the teachers, it's the pay. When they were talking about um, students in school that can't read, and that kind of like maybe very emotional when they talk about uh, the teachers in the school system and, you know, having tons of sympathy for them when it's their job to teach. Um, I have three kids. I have one that's in elementary one that's in high school and one that's in um, college. And I know you said um, you were talking about when do you talk to your kids about racism, white supremacy. <laughs> and um, I actually had to talk to my uh, child in kindergarten about racism, white supremacy, and um, trying to get her to understand, you know, why people act the way they do. And it's not you, it's them. So, um, i kind of nervous, but I um, really appreciate um, the shows and um, first-time caller. Thank you. Wow. Thank you so much for dialing in. And, you know, I hope the the program provides some, some constructive, accurate information that is of some value. Uh, I guess to the best that you can, can recall, like what what were you able to say to your, I'm presuming, like five-year-old daughter uh, to explain it to her so that she could understand this is why white people 
practice racism, presumably, if it was why white people behaving the way they are and their behavior is racism. What did you explain to your five-year-old daughter? Well, we first started out with my kids. Um, during the summer, we used to do like a, um, a book club, just me, my kids, my husband, and um, my oldest boyfriend. We, we had book clubs, and we used to talk about well, we, the first book we read was um, Joy DeGrew, uh, Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, and then we read the uh, New Jim Crow, uh, The Miseducation of, uh, of, of the Black Student. Um, we were reading these books, and she was around, and what we would do, we would read the books, and then we would have like a discussion on what we read, and she would be hanging around listening to everything we said and so she was kind of getting acclimated to you know what we were talking about and us discussing things like that so she was very familiar with racism and white supremacy from us reading those books and having those book studies and I would always tell her you know you need to love yourself and those that look like you and you know I was telling her things like that and from her her listening to us uh, reading those books, she kind of, you know, got a feel for what was going on, and then she started asking questions, and when she started asking questions, and that's when I tried, you know, proceeded to explain to her, like, you know, this is what's happening, you know, people are going to hate you, not because of who you are, it's just merely because of the color of your skin, and so she kind of, you know, got familiarized with that from, like I said, from us reading the books, and listening and then you know me just telling her different things um while we were reading the books spectacular thank you so much for sharing uh that is uh worthy of high commendation uh in my opinion uh i hear or it's not even that i hear i have observed so many times where parents white and non-white are watching television with their very young children present. And, you know, it's whatever nonsense you can think of. Uh, Get Out, Black Panther, uh, Power, Empire, and uh, all the same in my view. And they'll have their young child present. Uh, It's very rare that I hear we have book clubs. We're reading text, constructive information together and we have our young children present uh, so that they can listen, observe us reading. Bravo. Dr. Joy DeGruy, three-time guest on the context of white supremacy, uh, talked to her live in person at the White Privilege Conference in Wisconsin. Uh, Others who dialed in that we have not heard from directly. Thank you so much, first time caller. Glad you dialed in. No reason to be nervous, just victims. Uh, Others who dialed in that we've not heard from at all, if you have commentary to share, proceed. Oh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. Hey, how's it going, everyone? This is Black Male Engineer. Um, I kind of missed most of the clips, but I did catch the one about the lead pipes. And um, 
because I work in the aircraft industry, we have to deal with a lot of metal products and corrosion. And um, something that touched on me that I didn't hear them talk about is that they said that the, um, that the water wasn't being treated properly. So I'm not entirely sure exactly what it's being treated with, but just from my knowledge, there is no corrosion inhibiting compound that is safe for human consumption. So they're putting a compound in the water that prevents the lead pipes from corroding and from degrading and entering the water stream. But from my knowledge, there is no compound that is safe for human consumption at all. So at this point, I don't even know if the lead is even um, one of the main issues now. I think it might it might be the the, um, the compound that they're using to stop the lead from leaking into the water plus the lead. Um, so that's something that needs to be looked at. A team of black scientists should be looking at that. I, I don't think that white people should be trying to fix that particular problem. I think it's up to black people to fix that particular problem, specifically a team of black professionals go in, test the soil, test the water. Um, and that also speaks to like a lack of institutions in that um, we don't really know, like if the racists say that, um, you know, hydrogen is oxygen, we can't really refute that because we don't have the equipment to say whether or not that's true or false. And that's something I've noticed. Um, and uh, that's really all for now. Thank you. Appreciate the point, sir. Uh, in my view, just to emphasize, that's why it is not a metaphor. What you just described, that is the system of white supremacy. That is the explanation in terms of why there are not uh, black scientists, a black institute, in fact, to go to Flint or Newark or wherever else uh, and study and see. Is it the lead? Is it the chemicals that are being put in? It's chemical and biological warfare. Just, you know, the details, the explicit nature of the attack so we can have a better understanding. But absolutely. And I mean, that is why I think Dr. Welsing uh, understood that. That's why there's no counter racist institute, uh, no water safety institute uh, that is black people uh, are there and can go out and conduct the uh, the research. That is the system of white supremacy. Uh, others who dialed in uh, with a hand up that we have not heard from at all. Uh, if you have commentary, line should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Uh, greetings, Thomas in New York. Greetings, Gus. Greetings to all the callers. Um, you know, Newark, New Jersey. I grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey, which is... um right across the bay from North. Um, 40,000 um, filters. North has a population just under 300,000 um, 300, people. So it seems to me like they would need some more filters than that. <clears throat> the, if you correlate North to the Florida voting, 
your politicians is all black. I mean, it's it's no um your people being classified as black. It's it's not too many white people in North. Um, they, if you go to North, you would be immediately uh, you immediately could tell that it's a city that doesn't have too many white people. Um, I'll leave it at that. So, um, the mayor of North, just like the mayor of Tallahassee trying to be the governor is just the administrative director of the system of white supremacy. What can he do? Um, you know, he could come out and give a speech, um, try not to take blame. Um, but nonetheless, what could he do? It, it's been like that. Uh, when I grew up in Jersey, we were one of the first places to make buying bottled water, like a part of your, your everyday life. Um, you didn't drink the water out the faucet. And um, the chemical plants in North across the bay were so strong um, that um, there was like a 1-800 number we would call, and they would put another chemical in the air to take the smell out. The smell would be so foul. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the, the water in or mostly all in New Jersey uh, is is a contamination dump. Um, Asians sued against Harley. Now, I don't think the people whom are being classified as Asians um, and classify themselves as Asians should get affirmative action or civil rights. I don't care where they come from over there. However, um, the importance of this case to me is um, area one, um, because I often hear from um, people being classified as black victims of racism, white supremacy, that economics as the sole solution to solve the problem um, the most economically accomplished group of non-white people, I would say, are the Asians. Um, don't matter what part of Asia they come from. They come over here, especially when it comes down to business ownership. Um, and they're a very homogenous group of people. Um, they stick together, um, generally with whatever lines of language they speak. Um, and uh, we don't, and they do much better than us. Um, they get good grades. They go to good schools. And they have the money to pay for tuition, but they're still not white. Um, so Harvey's <laughs> like, um, yeah, it, 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 this is America. Um, <laughs> if you're black, get back. Uh, I mean, we could go through the Wellesley thing because all the other colors is going to fit right in along the Asia. Um, I, I could imagine the same things happening in Brown, Penn, Columbia, Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, all the rest of the you know, Ivy League or uh, esteemed white colleges. Right now, this is just the, um, the, the head of this one. Um, the people who classify themselves as white and are also allowed to classify themselves as Jewish are white Europeans. Um, I keep hearing about this synagogue shooting. And, um, you know, the two definitions for a Semitic person, a semi is a mixed-race person, and the other definition is um, people who speak the Semitic languages, but they didn't create that language group until the 1700s, the late 1700s, relating uh, and donating the people who speak Hebrew, Arabic, and Aramaic. Uh, but that's a lot because those language groups are actually called Afro-Asiatic language groups. So if you, you know, you'll see this the same definition, and one's real and one is is made up. So the the point I'm making is. Um, the most anti-Semitic people in the world are the people that call themselves Jewish. Because look at what they do to the Arab people who are actually Semitic people. 
Um, and they get all this um, empathy from other white people, and they're allowing them to call themselves Semitic when they're not. They're white. I, I, it's just, you know, you talk about confusing. They're a very confusing um, group of people. That's why I say that they're very dangerous. And I'll be my line, guys. Thank you. Much obliged, Thomas in New York. Uh, others who we've not heard from at all, uh, if you have commentary, uh, lines should be open. Proceed. Can I be heard? Yes, ma'am. Am I coming in clear? Uh, give us another sentence. Okay. Um, can I be heard okay? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Caller from the 712. Excuse that background noise. It's the... um the windshield wiper. I just wanted to call in just to kind of say something about black people and voting. And I just don't, I'm trying to figure out what, as a black person, what am I supposed to be voting for? Because I've been getting a lot of flack from the older people. Well, not flack, but the older people keep telling me that I'm, I'm really not, you know, a good stand up black person for not voting. And I'm not going to vote. I live in Iowa. So they're really, really mad because they want me to vote out Steve King to get who? Some other person in that could be, I mean, he could be a white supremacist, so I'm asking family members, you know, I don't know what you all want me to vote for. And can somebody tell me, like, as a black person, not just in America, but in Iowa, like I asked my family members, what am I supposed to be voting for? I think that's a a great question if someone is pressuring you to vote. Although I do think that it's it's so common like with the the segment that you heard. In fact, you can uh rewind before the segment. I played a clip from 2016 where someone I think is a black female called in and she was talking about, she sounded like she might have a similar thought process, uh, a similar way of thinking uh, saying, if you don't vote, then, you know, you can't be upset about anything. And, you know, if you don't vote, then you're part of the problem. That's a, that's very common uh, amongst many black people. And that way of thinking is promoted by racists that if there are problems, even if it's racism, the way that you fix that problem is to go vote. You vote these people out of office. That's what they did in St. Louis. They said that in the clip. Uh, the uh, uh, McConnell, the uh, prosecutor who did not uh, choose to indict the killer of Michael Brown Jr. They voted him out of office. See, that's why things will be different this time around. So they say, even though we just had eight years of Barack Obama and, you know, but that is very common. So you have many black people who are passionately attached to that and they will a lot of times they will attach you know black people died so that we could vote and you know you're uh somehow making a mockery of dr king and rosa parks and all the black people who marched and died and went to jail so they'll you know say that sort of thing to make you feel bad uh if you don't vote uh, or you're contributing to the problem you're keeping you know mr king in office or whoever the person is and you know if you've already decided that my use of time and energy 
would be better spent doing something other than voting, I wouldn't even get into a big discussion. I would just, you know, you said what you said mm -hmm, and just go about my business. Like I wouldn't have a big argument uh, about them because I've just seen where it just goes on and on and on and on. They're not going to change their mind. Uh, and if you're if you've already decided that you're not going to vote, why waste your time and energy? I would, you know, maybe give them how, as much time as you can spare to say, you know, whatever few sentences they want. And all right. Well, thank you. You've given me some something to think on and I'll speak with you later. And I would leave it. I would leave it at that, because I think a lot of times people just have that passion, but it's not really connected to any serious. I mean, we just had eight years of a nigra in the White House and our situation did not improve very much at all. Unless I'm in error. Yes. And they won't use the logic. And we've been voting for a long time. You can't tell me what am I supposed to be voting for. I'm I'm just gonna go with not voting and I will I will make the conversation be as short as they can be. Short and courteous. That's the count in my view, that is the counter racist way. When you've already decided and there's a difference of viewpoint and folks are not gonna change their views at this point, it can be short and courteous. So that was my um I, I listened to all of these um, clips. Um, thanks for giving that information to us, Gus, every week. And thanks, cows out with my life. Yes, ma'am. Context of white supremacy. If other folks have suggestions uh, for that question, uh, you can, you know, contribute as we proceed as well. Uh, other folks who dialed in, if you have a hand up, uh, if you have commentary to share, if we've not heard from you, proceed. While I'm waiting for folks to get their thoughts together, uh, I was emailed a freshly minted version of the hate you give abomination. <laughs> like, uh, I thought I had made that explicitly clear. There is no, I would have to be, I can't even put an amount on what I would have to be paid to view the hate you give like in its entirety where I couldn't you know just watch five minutes of it and say oh yeah I watched that uh, if I had to watch the full film wow it would be a substantial a substantial amount after black misandry black misandry thank you kindly I will not be viewing the hate you give and I will not be sharing uh, with anyone uh, else either if you need to see the film you will have to you know figure that out on your own I know one thing I did forget to mention, if you heard the audio segments, if you heard the segment where the black females were talking about voting and they were talking about the uh, power that black female voters have, they had one black female specifically and she said that she's married to an enforcement officer and I guess they're at some sort of event and the officers are there and they're talking and they were saying something or she said that I guess one of the officers said something to the effect of this person fit the profile. And she said, everybody in my family or the black males, at least, 
fit the profile, being a black male, slender build, uh, beard or facial hair uh, of some sort, dark complexion. She said everyone, just the way that the conversation was described, it almost made me think, or it didn't almost, it suggested that her enforcement officer partner was classified as white. I'm not sure if other folks, uh, if you heard that particular segment, uh, but it almost made me think cowbell uh, for that segment, which is uh, important. Uh, if other folks heard that specific segment and even what I'm talking about, the portion where she was, I thought it, it stood out. It was noteworthy within that piece where she was talking about being at the event with the enforcement officials. Uh, did did somebody, some, anyone know what I'm talking about? Did anyone hear that portion? Plus, in that segment, did they have a white woman say that um, she was going to vote for DeSantis, but she voted for Obama? Well, that's not the segment I'm talking about. I'm talking about uh, the segment where it was just black females talking about the power that they had uh, in voting. This is not the segment where it was like a, a group of a lot of different people, black people, and it sounded like white people and someone who said they were Latina or what have you. This was the segment previously. It was just black females speaking. And there was one black female who was talking. They were talking about, you know, bringing issues that matter to black females. And it was one black female who was saying that she was her partner was an enforcement officer. They went at an event and someone made a comment about racial profiling and she gave an opinion. But it sounded like her partner might be a white male. Uh, just if anyone heard that, what I'm talking about specifically, uh, if not, that's fine, too. That could be something to when you listen, go back to the archive, listen to that segment specifically and, you know. Maybe maybe my conclusion is in error. Maybe it's not based on evidence in the segment. Can I be heard? Uh, yes, sir. Caller in Florida. Yes, sir. Thank you very much, sir. Greetings to Gus, the host of listeners and callers. I was I was thinking that same thing because she uh, was given that uh, anecdote, I guess, about conversation she was having with the uh the officer i guess she was dating and she was saying giving a description of the male relatives in the family or attempted family and it did it did seem as though that she may have been talking about a uh a, a white man you know uh but i don't think she well it didn't sound like she gave the racial classification but it, it did seem like uh, she could have been talking about a, a white male, but as far as the the uh, the shooting, I hadn't necessarily heard about the shooting uh, at the I think the yoga place or something like that. I hadn't heard about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, suspected racists were to either put together some kind of uh, advertisement last minute to. Um, attack or oppose Andrew Gillum for the uh, before the election voting day on Tuesday, and I do notice that a lot of the uh, what they call attack ads or just the opposition advertisements are against uh, Mr. Gillum. I think more than any other 
candidate that's uh, that's running for election, at least here in this state of Florida. But I do think that he, that I, I do think that Mr. Gillum will win, but I don't know if it's going to be by a large margin. It could be just like a very close one. I could be incorrect and maybe uh, by a very large margin. Um, but I'm glad that you played that clip from the debate and how emotional uh, and how I think racist um, Mr. DeSantis uh, became. And you can just tell that once the truth is shared, those, those kinds of reactions, you can expect that. And it, it reminded me of Mr. Fuller when he says when uh, they'll use deception and then when the deception doesn't work, it become violent. I think that might be an example of that, at least in his tone of voice. Uh, and the segment about the uh, the affirmative action I, was that a was that a, a white person that was speaking, Gus, on that segment about the Asians being mistreated? And uh, I think was that Yale or something at Princeton, uh, Harvard. I think it was a white person. However, that segment did not have video, so. You know, there's no visual information to help identify. Oh, okay. Thanks. Because I was wondering, it's very interesting how they have a, uh, that what appears or sounds like possibly a white person speaking on an issue like that. And it, it definitely looks as though that they're trying to uh, promote some kind of uh, means to cause conflict among non-white victims when they're not talking about the actual system of racism that causes conflicts. So uh, I, I can expect that that's going to happen. Your volume is going down a little bit. If you could make sure you're, I guess, uh, speaking closer to your microphone or speaking up, just to make sure you're... Can you hear me? That's better. Yes, sir. All right. Thank you very much. Um, and just one last thing about the the Young Turks segment. I think that was a very tacky act of racism, I suspect, when the person was saying uh, about the, the victim's mother. I guess she was, he was calling her, I think, paranoid because she was making reports about her home being watched and people trying to, uh, I guess, uh, meander around the area or something like that and making suggestions that it was a it was a suicide and it wasn't an act of racism to lynch the black male. Did did you get that um that kind of communication? Did you get that message from that segment? Uh that the mother was being unjustly paranoid uh, about her residence? Well ma- mainly like when they were saying that those things weren't happening, that people weren't trying to, well, white people weren't terrorizing her, they were minimizing it as she was being paranoid and those things weren't happening, that they weren't being threatened and being victims of racism. I thought he said something to the effect of we don't know or like not not just accepting her saying that this was uh happening like i thought it was something to the effect of we don't know if that's happening um did he say that or no it sounded like he was in a way 
I guess, like minimizing it and making it seem that, especially when a black person is mistreated or a victim of racism, they'll minimize or white people will minimize and dismiss the reports or it being an actual real act of racism. And they'll use words like alleged and things like that. But I don't know if you said alleged, but that's the the message that I got from that particular segment. And that's pretty much all that I have right now. Thanks for allowing me to share. I'll have to go back to listen to see exactly uh, what he said in that portion on the Young Turks, to be precise. But you said Gillum. You think Gillum is going to win a close one? Yes, sir. Gotcha. Retired firefighter, did you pick uh, a winner? A winner. I know you said you thought the election is going to be a lot closer than what Mr. Dunn said. Did you say whether or not you thought specifically DeSantis or Gillum would be victorious? I, I, you, you know, it's it's ironic that you uh, called called me out because I was uh, trying to figure out a opportunity to uh, to state uh, on who I think would win because I did not include that when I when I spoke the first time. Uh, it keeps ringing. It, it keeps it keeps uh, circulating in my in my uh, mind uh, that. Uh, 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 Mr. DeSantis will win in a very close election. Uh, it, w- it would it would be in uh, some sort of a national term, uh, turmoil <laughs> uh, in Florida behind it, uh, specifically because reason why I said specifically because the white people that speak Spanish south of Orlando uh, is going to be is going to be the deciding. Uh, uh, "Quote unquote block <laughs> uh, 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 with that, uh, and they are not going to vote for a nigger. That's for sure. I can tell you that. Uh, I'm talking about uh, the white people who uh, came from uh, Cuba, Venezuela, and uh, one more place where the majority of those uh, white people who speak Spanish uh, uh, come from, but." Uh, uh, I think it, it'll be a very close race, uh, but uh, Mr. DeSantis will win uh, because I can't see uh, both in the state of Georgia and Florida non-white black people being uh, the two governors. And I would suspect that if that is going to happen, if meaning that the non-white black person is going to become governor of a state, uh, between the two, it would be Georgia. But I could be wrong. Oh, could I answer that? Could I uh, contribute to uh, the the answer for with the black female who was saying that uh, the question she said was, "What am what would I be voting for?" Uh, let me. We had one other person who hadn't shared at all, and then I'll make sure okay. to come back to get your response. All right. Thank you uh, kindly, sir. Uh, the caller. At one nine eight nine, did you have a commentary you wanted to share? Yes, uh, but retired firefighter could go ahead. I was gonna uh, say the same thing about a, a response about the voter question. All right, on retired firefighter. First and foremost, I I, I would say that I totally agree with her with her uh, her thoughts. 
uh, as far as that's concerned. Uh, and uh, I have uh, witnessed the same uh, uh, conversation from non-white black people, uh, more emotional as opposed to thinking, let alone uh, based on an analysis on some sort of historical context. Uh, uh, that's, that's, that's involved, uh, but I would not tell someone not to professionally vote. And I keep putting the emphasis on professional voting because voting is a very broad subject in itself. We all by this time probably voted maybe about, maybe about 40 or 50 times on something between when we woke up this morning um, until now we voted on something. This is professional voting. Uh, what I identified as uh, that uh, as far as to vote uh, it's like I heard Mr. Fuller state, you know, in this prison that we're in, uh, one may want to make it, if, uh, you know, have some comfort if someone says, well, okay, well, uh, you uh, is up for the vote to uh, uh, make the streets more, more, uh, more smoother. You know, last time I rode down 37th Avenue, I, I, my tire was flattened by a, a hole in the road or something like that. And, and now here's an opportunity to uh, vote on uh, clearing up the streets or something like that. Uh, it, so that, I mean, but that's very limited as far as I'm concerned. One thing I do know is not going to be on the, on the ballot is uh, the dismantling of the system of racist white supremacy. That's not going to happen. As far as that concern, uh, even the idea of voting for a personality, a non-white black personality, uh, as we just witnessed with uh, Mr. Obama, uh, that uh, there's no changes on the uh, subject of racism, white supremacy, as far as that concern. So I definitely concur on uh, what I what I. Uh, processed from her uh her thoughts uh and uh that's all i have to say thank you much obliged uh person that yielded the floor uh did you want to share sir yes uh matt can you hear me clearly yes sir all right uh similar to what retired firefighter uh, was talking about i think the question is she asked right was what is she voting for and not who she's voting for? Uh, for instance, here in Tennessee, they have two laws that I'm uh, specifically going to vote for. Uh, one, not laws, but they have an initiative to put a, a, a sewage plant on the river where I stay. That's, that's something that I'm definitely going to be uh, voting against. And they're also trying to put up an initiative to change the, uh, the ID laws here in Tennessee, uh, as far as being stopped and, and being ID'd for no reason, which I'm currently going through that particular situation myself. Uh, Tennessee currently doesn't have a stop and ID law, but not going to vote could initiate that. Uh, if you don't know what's going on in your local area, then you wouldn't know what to vote for. So just being logical, as you state, currently on your program, 
you have to know what's going on in your city and state. And if you don't, you'll never know what you're voting for because you, you're just not aware. And to get to the point about the, uh, the stopping ID, I just I, I went to sleep early last night, so I just wanted to add this real quick. I was standing in front of the judge, and I had this uh, this officer who hasn't come to court two different times, and the judge told me that he wanted to be fair to the officer to give him time to uh, to speak up. So with that being said, I put myself on mute. Thank you for taking my call. That word fair, very important. And I certainly uh, agree. The system of racism, white supremacy, local, national, global, really universal, uh, but certainly uh, it can be helpful uh, to, you know, and I think even retired firefighter was talking about, you know, hey, voting, uh, maybe they'll, you know, put in a new set of stairs at the library, you know put in a new post office uh, on the street or what have you, put in an extra stop sign, that might be helpful uh, in terms of your local plantation. But as he stated, you're not going to be replacing white supremacy with justice at the ballot box. So local things that are important to you and how you are functioning on the plantation, absolutely, that can be something to vote for. Other folks uh, that dialed in, if there's anybody that we missed completely, you should certainly speak up. Uh, other folks, if you wanted to respond to any of the questions, again, if we have uh, any folks in the Florida area thought on who's going to win the governor's race, DeSantis, Gillum, why, and then uh, the shooting, and then uh, the caller's question about what is she voting for in the face of uh, mass resistance? I think she said, especially from older black people, or if there were folks had other thoughts that they wanted to share, that's fine as well. But uh, if you have a hand up, uh, we do have less than 30 minutes. Uh, so if you have commentary, especially if you've not shared at all, uh, you should go ahead and speak up now. Number again, 641-715-3640, the code 564 three pound press star six one if you would like to participate uh, others who have commentary proceed Everyone satisfied or everyone just uh, spectating? Presumably, folks are spectating. I'll make sure I share workplace racism. Uh, now switched on Fridays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. I know it's going to take a while for me to adjust so that might be the case for listeners as well the book club is thursdays workplace racism is fridays from this point forward hopefully accommodating more non-white people who are not in the states uh, to be able to participate in workplace racism uh, other folks have commentary that they were going to share 
still being spectators. Oh, uh, let's see. Other person that dialed in, I guess you're on a Skype line or whatever it is. Amigos? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I got disconnected. Um, so I had to call back in. Um, yeah, thank you for unmuting the line again. I wanted to say, uh, as far as the the voting is concerned, what I've observed is uh, white people do what they want to do. And people complain all the time that this is not a democracy. Um, remember a long time ago, uh, everybody voted. I want to say it was in a specific place, but it might have been all over the country. But they voted against uh, homosexuality and some, some laws regarding that. And um, a lot of people got upset, and they blamed black people for that. And then what they ended up doing is they um, they change, you know, the laws or, you know, whatever, and they disregarded the votes. So it's like it's, it's all, it seems that white people collect votes just to see how people are thinking, and then they do whatever it is that they want to do. Um, so, you know, I, I completely agree with her in terms of, you know, what are you voting for? I don't, I don't think really we're voting for anything um, that is for us at all. And Dr. King and the rest of them did not die to vote. They did not go to jail to vote or any of that. They died and go, went to jail and all of that to vote to um, improve their situation. They didn't do all of that to, to, to vote for voting's sake. So if it was not going to, if they didn't think that it was going to improve their situation, I doubt very seriously that they would have made the sacrifices that they made. Um, and I, I doubt very seriously that they had this mentality that you just run around aimless, aimlessly doing things um, when you don't have any reason to believe that it's going to help you. We've had so many uh, centuries, really, and certainly decades since Dr. King was murdered and assassinated to, to show that you know, voting does not help us. We need to replace the system. Um, that said, VGQ, whoever wants to vote for whatever reason, um, but in terms of, you know, shaming other people for not doing that, for things that have not helped us at all, uh, that's that's just incorrect in my view. I'll mute my line. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Gus. <clears throat> Important distinction, voting as a means to an end. Uh, and there are some... Uh, of those folks from that era, uh, what they call the civil rights movement, uh, who articulated that explicitly, that they saw the same things uh, that many of us have expressed, that voting is not solving our problem with white supremacy racism. Maybe we should try something else. Uh, James Foreman is one specifically. Uh, he wrote The Making of uh, Black Revolutionaries. He was in SNCC uh, in that book. It says that explicitly. Uh, other folks uh, who dialed in, uh, if you have commentary, want to respond to any of the uh, questions that have been raised, feel free. Uh, can I be heard? Yes, sir. The last two commentaries, in my opinion, was right, uh, was very accurate uh, as far as that, as far as uh voting 
uh, it primarily was only idealized as a potential tool, not the ultimate, not the ultimate uh, uh, answer to our problems, including the people who uh, uh, who uh, bravely and uh, uh, ended up dying uh, in the process. Uh, it wasn't just for the vote. It was it, they were speaking in a lot of cases directly to the global system of racism, white supremacy. Uh, as I can recall, a year before Dr. King's death in 1967, uh, the speech that he made in that uh, in that uh, uh, building in uh, uh, I don't want to say a church, <laughs> a building in New York City, and uh, it was some it was close to April of 1967, which was almost a year to his death. He was talking about the global system of racist white supremacy, and he didn't mention nothing about no voting was going to be able to solve that problem either, as far as that concerned. Uh, a lot of the things that he was talking about, uh, uh, especially uh, after the, uh, the the Voters' Right Act was was uh, signed, uh, a lot of the things he was talking about was about the global system of racist white, white supremacy. When he was talking about the Vietnam War, and I'm just mentioning about one personality that most of us know, if not all of us know, uh, and uh, so uh, all of a sudden. Uh, this this uh, factor, if you will, have been made, in my opinion, overly important. And I suspect that it has to do with racists uh, actually promoting that, the most sophisticated and refined racists who are actually promoting that and, and it's not that, that particular strategy of racist white supremacy is not new. Uh, uh, where white people would actually uh, uh, get behind some sort of subject or some sort of uh, strategy and say, you know, y'all need to try this, talking to non-white black people as far as they're concerned, and this is good for you, and then assist us into other terms and metaphors such as uh, you, uh, you are actually are part of the problem if you don't do this, you know, as far as they're concerned. Uh, it, it's almost like it's almost like uh, you can you can even see the the white person behind that message that physically is coming from a non-white black person, and uh, that's my added thoughts to the discussion. Much obliged, retired firefighter. They just had a report today talking about uh, people in Seattle. Uh, not voting. Uh, yes, let me see if I can pull it up here really quick. It might take me a moment. But yeah, they just had a report. Now, interestingly, it has, oh, yep, studies show less affluent people and people of color around the country disproportionately decline to vote. Seattle's South End has the highest percentage of residents making under $25,000 in the city's highest concentration of people of color what can make voting a regular part of people's lives that was just uh in the seattle times today saw it on the front page of the paper and they got a photograph of two uh, 
two individuals who definitely would not be accepted as white uh, on the front of the photograph. And they're in Chinatown. So they put them in a area that would definitely be coded as this is an area where we concentrate a lot of non-white people. Uh, other folks, uh, thoughts that they wanted to share. We have about 15 minutes before we get ready to conclude. Any other thoughts, questions folks wanted to add before we wrap things up? I just want to add, this caller from the 712 with the voting question. I just want to add, I'm, I'm not voting, and I wouldn't suggest nobody else um, that looked like me to vote. I would tell my children not to vote, and I... I just don't understand where the passion is and people are not using logic to understand that that's not, that's not the answer. And I just feel like people are just, they just want to be included in something at this point and, and something that, I mean, that white people are a part of. So I'm not voting and I wouldn't suggest anybody else voting and work on the, the bigger problem. I mean, my life. Before you mute, so even... Uh, school board, sanitation department, you know, who's going to collect the rubbish, even, you know, those local offices, you don't, you wouldn't vote for that either. Superintendent. I'm be honest. I just, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. Right on. Just, I just wanted to know. Thank you kindly for your yep. For your answer, that is, uh, some folks have said, you know, it's just not worthy of my time and energy moving forward. Uh, One of the folks wrote in, uh, they said, I happened upon a cow's episode where you developed a code. I'm not saying all white people are racist, but, and then the add on, that's not something that I say on a regular basis, but uh, anywho, I have a suggested revision. Uh, Hold on a second. I have a suggested revision. I will never say that all white people are white supremacists, but what I say is this. The John Browns of the world have yet to successfully mount an offensive whereby the global system of white supremacy is replaced by a global system of justice, and that raises the question why haven't they? Now, of course, on the compensatory call-in, I would say something about this, but I didn't have to. I just keep reading. Please forgive my metaphors. Was there someone that was going to comment? Yeah, can I be heard? Mr. Steele? Awesome. Um, I got a question for you, Gus. Um you know, in light of this recent attack on the, uh, the yoga um, facility, and uh, if you do recall, there was a similar attack by, uh, I guess, one of the earlier um, known incels on the Internet, a guy named uh, George Sedini. He went into a, I believe it was an L.A. Fitness, and went into the uh, yoga class there, and uh, he... Uh, proceeded to kill the women in that facility. Um, have you considered, uh, I guess, this um, this threat uh, in assessing, you know, your precautions when leading one of these classes or when, um, I guess, uh, 
setting up for, uh, you know, one of these retreats. Is this kind of an eventuality that, you know, you put into your, um, into your consideration when you do this or, and if not, how many of these attacks would it take for you to consider uh, the potential for um, this type of, uh, of extreme uh, violence, uh, um, I guess, being present at one of your, uh, uh, your yoga gatherings? Uh, I mean, the system of white supremacy is extreme violence all the time. Uh, the way that I, you know, process things when we talk about the water situation, that's extreme violence. Uh, you sometimes have acute incidents uh, like these shootings uh, that you're talking about at the yoga studios or schools or wherever else. But I mean, those could happen here right now uh, at my residence. In fact, uh, Seattle has had a number uh, of shooting incidents uh, since I've been here. They had the incident at the school uh, that was right down the road from here, Seattle U, uh, not too long ago. And they had another incident uh, in Capitol Hill uh, that was, I think, like six. It might have been more than that. It was at least, I think, uh, six whites were killed uh, at some house party or something. So, I mean, that's just the system of white supremacy. That could happen anywhere, anytime. Uh, so I don't think that's anything peculiar to the yoga studio, not because of these recent incidents. I'm sure there'll be, you know, probably at least 10 more shootings just in this area of the world alone, much less, you know, the global violence that's carried out. So uh, nothing about that made me feel any type of way about going to the yoga studio. Uh, I like I've said, I experienced violence just trying to cross the street in front of my residence where I've had whites, you know, yell out and call me nigger. Uh, and, you know, act like they didn't want to slow down uh, for me to cross uh, at the intersection. So nothing about the incidents uh, made me feel any type of way about uh, going to practice or organizing classes or a yoga retreat. Uh, it didn't change my assessment any more than it already is uh, that we are in a system that demands violence all the time, especially against black people, yoga studio or no. Uh, did that answer the question, Mr. Steele? Uh, yes. Now, my question, my question is, how many attacks specific to a yoga studio would it take for Gus T. Renegade to say, hmm, let me, let me consider how I'm moving about, um, uh, these, this particular environment? When, when I was kicked in my head, that was enough. I did not need any of these uh, shooting events. And even, uh, before that, uh, it's, just, I mean, I shouldn't be snickering seriously. Uh, when I was kicked in the head, that was enough. I didn't need any of these, uh, shooting incidents. Uh, and even before that, it's an environment with what I've already said, uh, suspected racists, suspected race soldiers at minimum that that alone should be enough to say, man, I don't know if this is safe. Uh, anything could happen. And the kicking incident, you know, I mean, to have an acute and something that personal uh, happen. So I think that is something that should be considered anyway. And I'd had conversations with a number of black people who already said that they they already felt that way without these shooting incidents. They already did not feel that that's, you know, a safe environment. That's not an environment that they would feel comfortable uh, wanting to do yoga. I just talked to a black female. In fact, she said uh, she was supporting the idea of me doing prenatal yoga because she said I would not want to uh, take a class 
even if you were going to be present, I wouldn't want to do it if there was going to be a white instructor and a lot of other white people present. Like I would be much happier to do it someplace outside of that, you know, super racist dominated environment. So I think that's that even without these shooting incidents, people should already be thinking in that way. Is this is this even safe uh, for me to be here and practice even without these shooting incidents? Does that answer the question? Um, I, I, I was looking more for a specific number. Like if you saw five of these incidences occur, you would say maybe I'm, I, I should, you know, uh, uh, you know, get a gun or something like that. I don't know. Or stop going. Um, I was just wondering like a specific number of, uh, zero of shooting incidences, zero. Okay. I'm just, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. Now that answers my question. That, yeah, zero. That that thought process, I think, should already uh, be there without any of these. I mean, there are how many shooting incidents had there been before this yoga incident? That's what that's what I mean. Like, that's the system of racism, white supremacy. That should already have been there. It shouldn't require any any more shootings anywhere at any venue, uh, given what we see on a regular basis. May I make uh, a, a, a quick just. Um, Something to add on to what you said about your about people saying that they have apprehension of going to a yoga um, studio um, or a yoga class or a yoga setting. I was talking to my um, psychiatrist, who is a, a, a suspected race soldier, um, and uh, I uh, uh, I was suggest it was suggested to me in order to, you know, uh, for, you know, social skills or socializing or something like that, you know, get involved with the yoga, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, go to some classes and everything like that, specifically for, you know, the social aspect. And honestly, I, I, I don't think I could articulate this to her in a way that would make sense to her, but um, I, I definitely did not uh, take up that suggestion um, specifically because, uh, you know, I just, I just see those places as, uh, um, you're a sitting duck. That's like one of the most, I mean, like I, that might even be one of the poses. Uh, I, you know, I just, it, it feels, you know, you, you feel very exposed, not only to, you know, violence, uh, from the uh, outside of that facility, you know, from, you know, attackers that may want to, um, attack a group of women, but, uh, and from within, because, you know, there's just all sorts of threats of, you know, uh, any sort of impropriety um, that your presence may uh, elicit um, in the minds of uh, the participants that are there. So I was just wondering, you know, um, uh, so I, I just, I guess I wanted to make the comment that that person that made that comment to you that uh, they don't feel comfortable going to a yoga set setting, um, I don't think that that uh, person's assessment, they're alone in that assessment. I, I, I share that sentiment. I'm, I have genuine uh, apprehension about those settings. That is very logical in the system of white supremacy and why I am a yoga instructor and trying to be certified so that I can be competent. Retired firefighter? Yes, I, I uh, while... Uh, you guys were talking uh, in local news uh, down here in South Florida, Miami to be exact, 
they were just talking about the the incident, and they did interview Mr. Gillum on it. And I was just wondering if anybody wanted to hear it because I stopped it. I stopped it. So it's about maybe, maybe something like a 30 second, 30 second to a minute clip. Let's hear it. All right. Uh, say something if you can't hear. Say something if you can't hear the volume. Here, here it goes. And has more. Just minutes after a hot yoga class was scheduled to begin, shots rang out. Tallahassee police say an Army veteran walked into hot yoga Tallahassee Friday evening and opened fire. Investigators say people inside the studio fought the man, hoping to stop his violent shooting spree. And trying to not only save themselves, but other people, uh, which is a testament to their courage. Most of them survived, but two women lost their lives. They've been identified as 61-year-old Dr. Nancy Van Bessem and 21-year-old Florida State University student Maura Binkley. White females. were injured, including one woman who was shot nine times. Tallahassee mayor and Florida gubernatorial candidate Andrew Gillum met with the victims and reassured survivors. I would ask that the community continue to lift up uh, uh, the victims, uh, those who are still recovering from their injuries. On Twitter, his opponent, Ron DeSantis, called news of the shooting heartbreaking and said he was praying for the victims and the community. Police say the gunman, now identified as 40-year-old Scott Paul Beerley, turned the gun on himself and was found dead inside. Investigators say he acted alone and there's no threat to the community. The motive for the shooting is under investigation. That's that's basically it. And both, you know, and what you heard out of both both uh, candidates is basically just routine that, uh, you know, that that candidates are going to say nothing specific or anything like that. Much obliged. Uh, that'll be interesting. Can I be heard? The next uh, I heard you, Mr. Thomas. It'll be interesting to see the next um, three days, particularly if there are any updated ads in reference to the shooting. Uh, Thomas in New York. Um, yes, um, very interesting. Um, I'm surprised there wasn't an attack yet on the fact that there was a shooting uh, by the opponent. Um, I just wanted to say these two very quick things. Um, you know, in my opinion, my I hate to hear this. Um, your ancestors died for the right to rule. Um, I think that our ancestors died for equality, um, not the right to rule. And um, the very last thing is George Bush. The second one, I remember him, uh, I think it was 2006, he signed a, a law that gave um, the people being classified as black 25 years um, of voting privileges. Um, so it, the right to vote, really, still, we don't have it. It's still an executive order. I mute my line. Thank you, Gus. Yes, sir. I did have a thought today. I took a yoga class after the shooting. Zero. Didn't need that to think going to a dangerous environment. Oh, I took two yoga classes today. Pardon. So at the second yoga class uh, this afternoon, of course, I always wear my yoga shirt. And I do think. And I thought today as I'm walking only black male in the room with my shirt on that has the cow's logo now. Wow, there are a lot of black people 
uh, who say, and logically so, that they do not think it is safe and or comfortable to practice yoga in this environment. Gus T is here with a cow shirt on, no less, walking through and practicing well, practicing like an instructor, no less. And still of the opinion, or it's not of the opinion, still able to say truthfully, I have never said in all of these years, I am in the great plantation of Seattle, and I am disgruntled that there are not more black people here. Anywho, we will call that a broadcast. Uh, We will be here. You'll just have to check the Black Talk Radio network page uh, to see about upcoming broadcasts. I am very curious about the Florida election. If any other uh, listeners in Florida, if you want to email your uh, selection about the who's going to win and why, if you want to you know, email your predictions, I will be watching. Uh, might even see if we can come on the air if, if things are particularly interesting uh, Tuesday evening. If our Florida listeners are watching, perhaps they can chime in. They say this is an election that people are paying attention to across the country. I am going to select DeSantis still. Thinking DeSantis is going to be anytime it's, it's close. There's any uh, question. System of racism, white supremacy. I'm going to wager on the white man. That is a broadcast. Uh, once again, sobriety would it be best under conditions of white terrorism. Dr. Welsing, many of the others that we esteem would certainly want us to preserve our brain computers so that we can make spectacular decisions, crank out new concepts to help permanently solve the problem racist man, racist woman. In addition to being sober, each and every time that we are in a a vehicle, let's be buckled up, passenger or driver. Let's do all that we possibly can to minimize contact with race soldiers, badge or no. That said, creator, we ask that you help us remain patient with other black people victims of white supremacy we ask that you help us remain patient with ourselves remind us to demonstrate the highest levels of black self-respect at all times in all places each and every time we are in contact with another black person it has been time replace white supremacy with justice immediately. Cal signing out. Thanks all for tuning in. Nigga, you so brainwashed. I'm a victim, Your brother. Problem. You're a victim. Uh, I'm a up. victim of 400 years of conditioning. Shut up. The man has programmed my conditioning. Mm-hmm. Even my conditioning has been conditioned. <laughs> okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.